Hello and welcome to another session of the Corona Investigative Board, our 81st meeting titled Open Your Eyes and Move Ahead. It's turbulent times and people have to keep their nerves and especially not get caught up with that shot. Uh, so keep your nerves, don't give in, and uh, I think things are still possible. In this context, we decided to found a union after Dr. Brunner's example, who we've had with us last time, and he did something that I found very, very interesting. We looked into the details, checked it out for Germany. It's a good option. We have become active and we are in the uh, establishment phase. It's been uh, registered and now there's a couple of formalities that we have to fulfill. We have started a website, we have found a name and already now it is possible to register. It is called Freiwerkschaft. Uh, de, uh, com, and uh, you can contact us and we'll bring everyone together who wants to work for different working conditions apart from 1G, 2G, whatever we may have in Germany. I have to talk about this situation here. Unfortunately, my dog Bayern has a, a problem with his throat and this is why he has to kept uh, stay upwards for 20 minutes after food and uh, this is why I have to hold him here upright so that he is okay um, and he ain't heavy he's my brother I have five minutes to keep him here so we are live and going on lots of things are going on tomorrow we got the pathology conference the next one the second one and that the first one uh, caused a great interest and there are findings that go beyond this this is going to be even more interesting uh, there is another nine people who have been post-mortemed and uh, there are points that indicate that we are moved towards turbo cancer due to a drop of the immune defense by the uh, caused by the mrnr mrna vaccinations um the others only have the uh, poisoning by the spike protein is not so bad anyway so yes great things are going on and that's going to be streamed from five o'clock tomorrow pm and uh, check the pathology minus conference with the german k in german uh, de it's got its own telegram channel as well um, i think we posted in the chat it's available on the website as well and the recent studies and important findings will be um, published there okay so interestingly youtube has already cut us out uh, I don't think this is because I'm holding my dog. I think it's other reasons. Well, you know, uh, YouTube are really uh, against um, animals, therefore the uh, culling of all animals. So if one of them is alive, they censor it immediately, no problem. <laughs> it doesn't look very caring, but it is caring. So fascinating. The pathology conference is going to make uh, a lot of people scared. It was incredibly uh, attacked 
last time i think it was 500,000 views during the conference or per day or something i don't know it was uh, a lot of interest okay so that was it Rainer. well we were going to say something uh, on our own behalf um, but very briefly uh, because it's a waste of time viviane myself and i uh, have been um often been attacked uh viviane because she's a hat maker yes uh but, well not for that sebastian lever wrote very poisonous articles um i think he suggested that i'm not a lawyer at all and um so i'm i'm a hat maker uh, only uh, but he tried to get people um, across the border to draw to uh, do a film and present uh, produce a fake documentation as you would expect from him and for that well apparently he, well he was arrested and possibly we don't know we can ask we could ask Tagesspiegel maybe well, he's probably where he belongs um, there have been a certain attacks leveled at me as well that I didn't really uh, know about but one of these things uh, that I did learn about was a film uh, made 20 years ago when I started with my uh, law office with 17 uh, lawyers and more than 30 people uh, going after the uh, criminals in the financial industry because of the uh, scrap um, real estate, junk real estate, and they made a film about me, um, partially with um, a candid camera. Um, and I think, I don't want to go into details, but I think on my website you can still see the film. Uh, it was... Um, um, it was banned by uh, courts, but the um, compensation that I wanted to have, uh, because it was going for American levels of compo, um, I didn't uh, get this through. And uh, I was with um, uh, this uh, NGO, a financial turnaround. Um, uh, Gerd Schick, a former MP, um, started this, a great uh, crowd, because at the political level, Gerd Schick um, what, felt he couldn't impose it politically when he was an MP, and I understand now why, because politics is completely corrupted in Germany. And uh, he was trying to politically uh, restrain the uh, financial wizards so that Comex and Comcom would no longer be possible. That is exactly the uh, basis on which uh, Olaf Scholz is being elected chancellor now. Um, and uh, I'm not against uh, Mr. Schick. I think he's a very honorary um, person. Um, but uh, something has happened. I think they uh, cooperated too closely with the corrective group. Corrective are those fact checkers who have become hired uh, slanderers now. And at the beginning of the Corona crisis, at the very beginning, we had a meeting where there was one member of corrective um, involved. And afterwards, I sent him a texty and I said, hello, Mr. X. Would you please take a closer look? Um, there are uh, horrible things being uh, spread about uh, Mr. Vodak. So they're called corrective. Um, so maybe you can correct that. No answer. 
And I thought, okay, if they are there and want to make money with their dubious uh, purposes, um, then I'm not um, right here anymore. And that's all that's behind it. it um, I don't know who else is behind it and finances it. And nevertheless, I still believe that uh, Getschik is uh, a very uh, honorable person and that um, the idea of um, financial turnaround is right. I don't think we'll achieve anything in Germany, though, because this country is fully corrupt at all levels. We uh, let it go for 30 years and we didn't um, um, watch it, but we're uh, trying to do something about it now. We have a colleague with us here now who is not only a legal expert, but also knows about investment banking. It's, he's a venture capitalist and who helps us with uh, legal re research again and again. We've known him for uh, about um, 35 years now. He does a bit of research. He will be able to tell us something, whether now or later, we'll see about the strange EU uh, contracts um, made on the one hand with the um, vaccine manufacturers only made between the EU and the uh, vaccine manufacturers. Uh, the member states never made these contracts. Uh, there are some dubious uh, models in between, be it of uh, full powers or an, a commission, whether the right people signed it. It's all very dubious, but the impression is made that it's all um, about board, but that's probably an illusion again. We will get a look uh, into this with his help. We have some uh, videos at the very end. We will show an ingenious video, a very short one by Christian Thais, uh, who we had here before, a member of the EU Parliament, who in uh, two press conferences made it uh, crystal clear, uh, just like Christiana Andersen of the German side and Ivan Sincic uh, from the Croatian side and some others have made it crystal clear that it's a hoax here and that the EU is threatening to become an, um, a core component of this crime and a much longer uh, video uh, by Robert Malone, um, the inventor of the mRNA um, technology, who speaks about uh, another guest, uh, about uh, Mr. Desmond, and he uh, feels that uh, Desmond has the right um, evaluation of the situation. I was going to show you an excerpt from the uh, um, uh, your EU fundamental rights charter, uh, which shows clearly um, what we are complaining about. It, it is uh, imposed via this uh, charter here in Germany. I find it uh, dubious uh, having an, a, uh, someone to be elected chancellor. He was a lawyer in the past, and he is um, deeply involved in these financial crimes. Article 1 says human dignity is inviolable, just like in the German constitution. It must be respected and protected. This Article 2 is the right to life. Everyone has the right to life. No one shall be condemned to the death penalty or executed. Now comes Article 3, the right to, to the integrity of the person. That's the most important thing uh, with the uh, vaccination mandate, which can only be uh, discussed by criminals behind this. Everyone has the right to respect for his or her physical and mental integrity. Everyone, not only in Germany, not only Europeans, everyone. 
in the fields of medicine and biology, the following must be respected in particular. A, the free and informed consent of the person concerned according to the procedures laid down by law. The, the free consent, free consent, nobody consents uh, freely if you are um, pressurized by the government. B, the prohibition of eugenic practices, in particular those aiming at the selection of persons. So people uh, by eugenic practices such a uh, targeted vaccination with potentially lethal um, uh, substances, the prohibition on making the human body and its parts as a source of uh, for financial gain. So there are some um, lethal components in the uh, vaccine and the prohibition of the reproductive cloning of human beings. All of this um, is part of an, on the of the road towards transhumanism and all this you can base that the uh, EU um, fundamental human rights charter and uh, we are doing this and some uh, people are still um, appealing to international courts the international court of justice for instance you could also um, appeal to the European courts uh, to the court of European uh, European Courts of Human Rights, um, and that would be the right uh, place. Whether mm, this undermines the um, fundamental, uh, the Charter of Fundamental Rights, and in order to make it clear, um, and I speak for myself and Viviane, but also for Björn, I think nobody will ever tell us what to do. I've uh, um, they tried to do that with me. I was a soldier by accident, and I. No, no, uh, nobody, no idiots can tell me. My grandfather warned me of it. Nobody will ever be able to tell me. Nobody controls me. And I'm sure with Viviana, uh, with Viviana, it's the same thing. Nobody will um, uh, force her hand. And I uh, don't doubt it with Bjorn. So let's see how far we've got already. Um, in terms of the legal part, uh, with the help of Howard Steen and Carolus, we started to collect the uh, court uh, rulings uh, globally because that's important because Germany is a, a smoking heap of rubble in terms of um, the judicial landscape, particularly at the peak with the Supreme Court. But globally, there are numerous court cases that are very promising. Uh, recently, we spoke to uh, a colleague Dipali Oja. Um, we will maybe uh, get back to that um, next Friday. There has been a lawsuit filed against Bill Gates. They are further advanced than most other Western European or Western countries because based on experience, um, vaccination attempts that were actually uh, sterilization attempts in Africa, in South Africa and in, the, in India. So Howard, can you give us some more, uh, and Carolus, can you tell us a bit more about this? Yeah, that's kind of Vielen Dank erstmal, Rainer, für diese Einladung. So I'll just say a few words about who we are, because yes. um, we haven't been on the show um, before. Um, myself and Carolus are, I guess I'd describe us as um, a couple of um, content creators, uh, filmmakers, um, and artists. And uh, probably more importantly, at the moment, we are frustrated libertarians because uh, a number of our projects are on hold now because of everything that's, that's happening, been happening over the last uh, 20 months or so. 
So just like everybody, we're frustrated and, um, you know, we want to know what on earth is going on here. Um, we've been trying hard to understand the science and, um, you know, all the background for this, tuning into your show and really hoping that the courts would stop this, um, that we'd have something really concrete by now. And um, what surprised us really is, and I, I guess it started earlier this year, we, we looked for rulings and um, really we, we found very few. And we, we actually couldn't believe why there wasn't more of a legal uh, pushback against all of this. And then we'd, um, we'd hear guests on the Ausschuss uh, discussing cases that we, we actually hadn't heard about because they're never in the media. And, um, you know, it seemed like even lawyers were being surprised by the information they heard from other, other lawyers um, through the Ausschuss. So, um, you know, we started to understand that, yes, the press is really suppressing a lot of information here. And, um, you know, even when I tell uh, friends and acquaintances who are corona-frightened, about these cases, they, they don't really want to believe me. Um, the, the evidence just isn't publicly available. And uh, I think this probably leads many people to believe that what is going on must, must, be must somehow be legally okay and reasonable. Um, because, you know, if not, why wouldn't the courts do something? Uh, you know, why the press would tell us about this? So this is another thing which is obviously dividing society. And, um, you know, thinking about this, the two of us thought, well, this, this really made us want to create some kind of database where all the um, global legal cases could be collected and presented in, in a, an easily accessible form. And um, the way we see it, um, one of the key reasons for that is, um, is to connect lawyers globally. Um, so that arguments that are working in one geography can perhaps help, um, arguments that are working in winning cases uh, can be reapplied and help in other areas. So it's very important to collect, connect all the lawyers. And, and I, we, we, we know now there's a big network and it is working and, uh, you know, cases are being fought and won. Um, but not only that, we also think there's a need to inform the general public who've been starved of information through the press. Uh, they're just not getting anything from the, the media. But we know there are a lot of people out there who they already smell a rat. They know something that's wrong. Um, we want people to be able to see that there really are challenges happening. Um, and importantly, the challenges, the challenges are being won. And also that there's going to be a light at the end of this very dark tunnel we're all going through. Um, so with that kind of background, um, you know, our vision for this is essentially very, very simple. It's, it's to put up a wiki style um, uh, website. So uh, something that is, um, is community driven. That's very important. We're, we're just two people. So we, we're not lawyers. Um, we, you know, we're, we're designers to some extent. Uh, so we can put a website together. But we see this as a kind of fountain of gathered knowledge that's um, in an easy to, easy to find and readable format. And this is the other part of the, um, you know, the whole legal jargon. We, we're, try, we're just trying to simplify this because many of these rulings are very long documents. So we're trying to present this in a simple, simple kind of for, format. Um, 
ultimately, the success of what we're doing is going to depend on the, um, the global community of legal professionals supporting this. So we, we're, we're actually now at the stage where we're inviting lawyers to, um, to send us case information in a, an easily used um, template format. We will put it on the site, but critically, we require the lawyers to do that. And I think the Ashes would be a great platform to, to get this information out to the lawyers. Um, right now, the site is on a, a kind of uh, placeholder um, web domain. And uh, of course, we'll, we'll, we'll double change and it'll, we'll use a domain name that's more, more um, uh, memorable uh, to, get, to get this out to everybody. So I think with that, um, with this, that short background, I want to hand it over to my colleague, uh, my friend uh, Carolus, who's going to join via audio link, and he'll tell you about the site. And then afterwards, if there are any questions, we we can take those. Does that sound okay? Sounds perfect. Yes. Yeah. I'll just start the screen share in that case. Um, mm -hmm. Over to you, Carlos. Okay, so I hope everyone can see the the uh, the main site. Yeah. Okay, so this is our this is our homepage. It shows up, and we're, we have our our our, our uh, title of the page is of the site is called Corona Cases, uh, which is of course is a, a pun uh, play on words, and uh, we have our subtitle called The Law Versus the New Normal, and here we have a big button here to take us to our cases. Uh, for those who are interested, we have some other tidbits on the site as well for people to see. You know, we are, this is, this is a primarily, this is all about legal stuff, but we thought it would be uh, good to also be able to show some videos that are related to legal things. So here on the left, we have a, uh, a featured video page uh, a section and then in the middle, we have our cases uh, that we are uh, picking the best ones or the latest ones out at the front. And then on the right, we have some articles that are in the news that are related to uh, uh, cases. Okay. So if we go click here on this uh, button, oops, we will take, this will take us to our main case page. So these are uh, at first uh, organized by country. Mm -hmm. uh, at the moment, we only have a few because we've just started and we're collecting cases at present. Um, so, uh, but this is this should understand where we are currently, where we are planning to do here. Uh, so uh, we have, for example, we have a few here under the United States, and we have also a few here under Germany. Um, if we go down further, we are working on trying to get uh, uh, sections for international cases. 
And over here we have a section for landmark cases, such as Jacobson versus Massachusetts, which is from uh, 1905, which a lot of judges in the United States seem to be uh, uh, quoting or turning to for decisions. So we thought cases like this would also be useful to have on the site. Yeah. Um, that is one of the most important cases. It's the landmark case which seems to have allowed mandatory vaccination, uh, vaccinations. But uh, upon closer inspection, the facts of that case were quite different from what we're dealing with now. But it's very important to include that case. Yeah. Well, we'd love to include others if uh, if we can if we can find that information. Um, so here's, a, here's a, a recent case from the United States, uh, OSHA vaccine mandate case. And this is, you know, we're just going to show you how our, our, our page is laid out, which again is very much modeled on a Wikipedia style uh, format. Um, uh, so here we have our main title and then we have a very short uh, explanation here of what the case is briefly about. Uh, and then we have uh, some, some overall facts of the case, like when it was, where it was done, what the case number was, who the plaintiffs were, who the judges, uh, and what the verdict was. Um, and then as we go down, uh, we, again, we really want to present this in a very simple, uh, easy to understand, quickly readable way. Uh, so that it's, you know, these, these cases are very, uh, uh, quickly understood by people. So we start out with a, with a background, uh, a little information about why the case happened, uh, a little information here on significance, what, why the case was important uh, or is important. Uh, then we go to a section for the plaintiff's argument. Um, and then further down, we go for a section for the defendant's argument, which at this moment we don't have enough information for. And then we have here a decision made by the court. Um, in this case, they had to have two decisions uh, because the, uh, this is a case against OSHA and the Biden administration. And, and the Biden administration decided, I guess, not to follow the rules. So the court had to go back in and say, again, you can't do what you were said you were going to do. We already told you not to do. And then over here we have an aftermath, which I think is important because uh, a lot of these cases, like such as the 1905 case, you know, reverberates and affects other cases, and uh, and it's good, to, it's it's important to know. And then a little further down, we have uh, further research that we can we can uh, look to. For example, we have we can ha we can click, for example, on, on reading the original ruling. Uh, I think that's very important to have the rulings on these pages. Um, and then uh, some media sections. Uh, this is an attorney general from West uh, Virginia who, who was part of this case against the Biden administration and he's talking about uh, his involvement. Uh, and then we have further down, and this is also very important, just like a Wikipedia, uh, to have references. So everything that is written above it, you know, is referenced uh, so that, uh, you know, it's not, we can show that what we're saying isn't just made up there, you know, there's evidence for what we are saying. And then of course we have uh, keywords and, uh, and, and at the bottom we have more links. Um, so this is the main layout of uh, the pages. 
uh, and uh, we will send everyone a, a, uh, a template if, once they contact us. Um, where is the template? So th this, is our, this is our template here. Um, so it'll be in a, in a text format. Uh, and we hope that others will fill this out as best they can and send it to us. And then we will, we will post this uh, on the site. Um, okay, so um, if we go back once again to our case sites, uh, we also have uh, other types of, here's a, a of, of documents here. This is, this is a legal opinion, which we're getting a few of lately. This is a, a lawyer in the United States who has written to us and, and has provided uh, his analysis of, uh, of, of many cases in the United States currently being, uh, or that have just been uh, argued. Um, and and his, his evaluation of these cases, all these, all these ones down here are all different cases that have been argued in the United States over the last year, uh, mostly against, against uh, yeah, in favor of lockdowns. And this lawyer's argument uh, is that uh, this is unconstitutional, and that and that none of these cases have been had had any uh, expert witnesses involved at all. Only looked at one side. All, all the judges are just assuming, as this one says right here, that responsible health experts agree, yeah. which I think we all know they don't. Yeah, well, um, that is that is because they're standing the so-called precautionary principle on its head. They're starting out from the assumption that there's something really dangerous going on. And in reality, it is not an assumption that any everyone agrees on, but rather that is the assumption that is being challenged. There is no pandemic. Rather, there is a PCR test pandemic, and that's where the courts should really start their work. But um, that is also what our colleagues and I are working on, and that's why you're going to be included in this international group of um, attorneys who are working on this um, international corona tribunal. Yeah, that's 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 great. Yeah, yeah, because here here is is very important. You know, here um, uh, this lawyer says these all these cases are premised on the presumptions that the virus is deadly, that non-symptomatic people can spread it, and that the vaccines are safe and effective. Which is all a bunch of bullshit. Right. And so I would welcome people to even you know send us uh, these these kinds of legal opinions, uh, and they can be part of this site as well. Um, but further on, we also have. Uh, uh, Excuse me, Howard. Is it uh, supposed to be in English? Yes. Yes. Mm, ich glaub, das gut. Well, yeah. Mm. We, 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 we are not. No, we ha we haven't. We we are English speakers, mm -hmm. so it's it's in English. But I, I don't suppose it needs to be in English. Well, no, it doesn't. We'd need a team of people, probably, to handle the, if it were multi, multilingual. And we, for example, right now, we're dealing with uh, Dipali, the Indian Indian lawyer, who's, uh, we've got the first case up there. Maybe Gus will just refer to that. Uh, um, Carolus will just refer to that um, in a minute. But then um, some of those cases are in Indian. Um, but I think we would only... Um, Try to kind of present the, the the ones which we can show in English. Mm -hmm. 
Well, or we will we will do two versions. We will do one. We will do a translated version, perhaps. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. We're we're open to all languages, I would say. Uh, but we'll probably end up putting an English version. Yeah, right. yeah. Yeah. yeah, it'll be primarily in English, but we'll be open to what whoever wants to. If somebody wants to do it in their language, that's fine too. Mm -hmm. um, so this here is a you know a page of, of links, as it says. Uh, these are not necessarily all legal links. Uh, of course, we do have legal links, but these are things that are related to the ongoing uh, uh, narrative, let's say. And and they would have, they do have, of course, impact on these legal cases because where there's a big scientific, uh, uh, you know, uh, factor to mm -hmm. this this whole pandemic. So in the middle here, of course, we have. Uh, links to lawyer groups or, or different uh, organizations that have, have to do with legal issues. Um, and over on the left here, we've got uh, uh, government databases on vaccine injuries. Uh, and over here, we have some other data sites that are deal with, uh, with lockdowns or with uh, um, PCR. PCR data or, or here injury graphs. Uh, uh, and if we go down here on the left, we have more independent sources looking at, uh, uh, you know, vaccine injuries, uh, which this is, these are growing all the time. Uh, and then over here, we've got uh, different organizations petitioning, uh, you know, doctors uh, against uh, this one is students uh, standing up, you know, more doctors standing up. These are, these are uh, companies standing up. Uh, in Germany against these measures, uh, and, and there's all, many of them here. Uh, it's very interesting. Um, and then over here, we have a bit of a miscellaneous category. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, so, for example, one, one of the things we have here, which uh, we, we quite like, is this forum on vaccine efficacy, which Ron Johnson held on, uh, just a month ago. And uh, uh, and so here we're showing uh, his uh, uh, his interviews with with uh, 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 with experts and people who've been vaccine injured. And of course, YouTube took down the video, uh, the main video. So we are working on putting up a, a new version of it. But uh, uh, I think it's important that people know took this down that, that YouTube took this down. Mm -hmm. uh, and then of course here we have uh, people who have been injured, talking about their injuries. Which, which I hope is useful to people in the, in legal the professions or everyone visiting here to see that you know there are people uh, who have been injured, and of course here are uh, professors and uh, expert scientists and uh, people also talking against uh, you know giving their their expert opinions on uh, the ongoing situation. Mm -hmm. Um, well, this looks like it's going to be a gigantic treasure trove, um, not just for the legal aspects, but for all the other aspects that are somehow connected with the with the legal aspects. This is great. This is really, really, this is what we've been waiting for. It's, I'm really glad, I'm really glad you're digging into this and you're doing this kind of work. Thank you. Well, thank you. We, we, we very much appreciate your support. Uh, um, yeah, well, that's basically the site uh, in a nutshell. You know, over here we do have uh, more articles uh, as they come up mm -hmm. uh, that we want to put up, uh, and 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 these are more videos uh, over here that we uh, you know will be populating more and more mm -hmm. uh, in the next few weeks. 
um, uh, and so this these are these are extra things, uh, but they they will all be geared towards a legal a legal uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for uh, a legal frame a legal a legal focus yeah. So if if, no. if, uh, if there's lawyers uh, looking, uh, you know, watching the, the, the show today, the session today, is there a way they can get in touch with you in order to send uh, information? We would like you to... Um, or we do it via, via the Ausschuss. We could maybe... We'd like to do it via the Ausschuss. We'll, we'll give you our web... Um, we, have a, we have an email, uh, um, email address where lawyers can send us information. I think that's the best way to do it. We just don't want to make that a totally public no, thing. Maybe we can uh, create a special, um, so I'm talking to the IT right now, maybe we can create a special uh, an email address where lawyers or like people involved in cases can send us information. Uh, let's call it um, uh, legal. We do have one. We do. We do have one. We we have a Proton Mail account uh, for this, and people can use that. Yeah. I think they're already in touch with our major main IT yeah. person. Okay. Mm -hmm. yeah. So maybe then. And, and one last thing is we do have. Okay. Sorry. Yes. Then we should just. Um, or later on, maybe on Telegram or somewhere else, we just post the email address and then people can can send information or can get in touch with us. Or like, I don't uh, know if it's posted uh, already. Yes. Okay, right. good. And of course, one last thing is here. We do have, a, for example, a, uh, uh, a search section. Uh, so here, here is our latest, the latest case we've got up just from yesterday uh, yeah. with which uh, was from somebody, uh, the lawyer De Pali from India, uh, and, and the Auschwitz has has just provided us this information. Uh, so we've just started to put this up from India. This is our first case from India. Excellent. Excellent. Um, yeah. Against uh, you know Bill Gates, obviously, mm -hmm. and AstraZeneca. Uh, Excellent. So this this one is ongoing, and will be uh, uh, expanded over time. I'm sure. And it does show that the news is literally tightening for some yeah. of the perpetrators yeah. of these crimes. Very yeah, good. Absolutely. Okay, well, um, Carolos and uh, Howard, thank you so much. This is incredibly important. Um, we, um, we have been trying to do this ourselves, but we have too much on our plates. That's why I'm extremely gra grateful for your help. And I th I'm sure that all of the international colleagues who are now watching this and who are going to watch this later will get in touch with you. I have a few cases that I'm going to send in too from the US. <laughs> Very good. Okay. Okay. Well, well, thank you. Thank you very much. We'll yeah. talk to you later. Yeah, thank you. Yep, bye bye. Thank you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So, jetzt haben wir um, einen kleinen Umbau in unserem Zeit. Swap in our timetable. Dr. Renate Holzeisen, Dr. Wolfgang Wodak will, as the vaccination topic is such so virulent, will talk to us about uh, the uh, vaccination mandates in Italy and adapt that to the German um, legal situation. Uh, Wolfgang Vorderk is going to talk about that to us. We are a bit behind in our time schedule, but I think we'll catch up. Renate, do you want to give it a go?
I'll be happy too. Yes. Hello. Good morning. Well, um, after we are uh, being increasingly pressurized in Central Europe uh, to get vaccinated, uh, we are most advanced in Austria. Uh, the uh, vaccination mandate has been in place for medical staff uh, since April and uh, from 15th of December for security forces and uh, educators. And um, it's very important to give fundamental information to people so that they can defend uh, fend this off autonomously and so that lawyers who are not who are not as deeply involved in this matter can take appropriate action and i hope that uh, they will be uh, numerous people because it's impossible to um, in italy we have 8 million uh, people who are uh, unvaccinated who are uh, under a vaccination um, mandate you can imagine how many um, cases we have there is uh, there are far too few lawyers who take such cases and they can't handle all this workload this caseload we have to state this quite clearly so we have an emergency here in uh, legal um, defense and I call on uh, our colleagues to finally face this need and their obligation as lawyers who have sworn an oath to um, their constitution, whichever it may be. We all uh, swore such an oath to take care of these uh, lives and this existential threat to people. So let's uh, delve into the um, thick of matters. We in the EU are dealing with um, substances that have a limited approval. This limited approval was granted uh, based on certain decisions taken by the European Commission. The first decision uh, dating from 21st of December concerning the vaccine by Pfizer-BioNTech. Then on, uh, in January of this year, Moderna was um, approved, and then it continued with the other two substances so far approved. These decisions are all based on EU uh, regulation um, 507 of 2006. That is the um, regulation that only allows uh, limited approvals for medication. Their um, approval is limited because essential studies for their efficacy and safety are unavailable. This uh, regulation, EU regulation, uh, refers to preclinical uh, trials, um, i.e. of pharmacological uh, studies, uh, animal studies, and um, <laughs> pharmacological studies. So that is what applies to these so-called COVID-19 vaccines so far approved. 
So this um, regulation was made in 2007 when there was some awareness at EU level uh, for legal protection of um, individuals. Um, and this is why Article 8 clearly states that the people affected, i.e. all EU citizens who are not only invited, but even in Italy, Austria, and in Germany, um, there's a discussion of uh, uh, installing such an uh, obligation. And we will declare that this obligation is uh, legally untenable. Uh, on the basis of a substance with um, conditional approval, but one thing after the other. Article 8 of this EU regulation clearly says that uh, people need to be clearly informed about the fact that they are only uh, that they are uh, substances with uh, conditional approval only. In Italy, this information is not given at all. Quite on the contrary, the information, the piece of information, which under Article 8 is obligatory for a legal application of this substance, uh, which is envisaged by this regulation, and approval was based on EU at EU level on the basis of the EU. Uh, legislation and this um, EU uh, regulation of uh, 507 of uh, 2007 is directly applicable uh, in every EU state and it has to be um, uh, enforced by all health authorities. If you violate this EU regulation, you um, commit a severe violation of the law. As soon as people are informed um, under this uh, regulation in an information uh, sheet, uh, and generally speaking, um, through uh, official propaganda as well, then you have to tell people what does conditional approval mean? Why conditional only? It means this information obligation implies that people are explained that essential studies have not been performed or are still ongoing and that neither the efficacy nor the safety of um, the treatment um, has been finally established. And that also implies that people need to be exactly ex explained which potential risks they Except if they um, uh, if they take these uh, vaccines, but the exact opposite is done. If we look at the vaccine uh, vaccination propaganda, and we know that vaccine is not an appropriate term at all for this, but if we look at this propaganda, then we see nothing of this information, and this is why it is um, first and foremost necessary that the people affected look whether the information uh, sheet that the um, health authorities of the individual um, 
member states um, of publicize and hand out to people affected at the vaccination centers, for instance, whether this uh, information refers to Article uh, 8 um, uh, uh, to um, Regulation 506 um, of 2007. If not, if that is not the case, then we have a violation of the law already. But it is more than that. <laughs> it goes beyond that. We have the attachments to the decisions concerning the conditional approval of these substances. We have four such uh, decisions, and the decisions by the EU Commission are um, have attachments, attachments where the EU Commission uh, explains uh, the conditions, the purpose of these substances and the conditions under which these substances may be applied. And these decisions and their uh, attachments um, can be called up by anyone. If you go to uh, the website of the Human Medicine Register, so under Human Medicine Register, everybody can see this uh, on the internet at the very top. The COVID-19 vaccines are listed. So you can actually uh, click on uh, BioNTech Pfizer and then you can see the decisions and the updated attachments of these authorization decisions, which are, of course, an integral part of this conditional improvement. And if you Uh, look at uh, the very uh, bottom because these attachments are available in German language as well. You can select your language, of course. Uh, any official EU language, of course. And we have the attachment concerning the substance community of uh, Pfizer-BioNTech, and then you go to attachment number two, listing the conditions or limitations uh, for the um, sale and application of these substances um, are listed, and it explicitly says a, a medication subject to a, a requirement for prescriptions. What does that mean? We have these four conditionally approved um, substances, so-called COVID-19 vaccination uh, vaccines. They require prescriptions. So that means that if anybody is forced to accept treatment with these vaccines, then it cannot be done the way it is being done right now, at least here in Italy, that the persons, let me use the example of members of the health um, professions, if they are not voluntarily um, allow uh, that treatment, they will be asked by the health board to submit their vaccination status. And if they fail to do that, 
then they are given a um, vaccination appointment um, that is obligatory for them and then they have to go to the vaccination center and there a laughable information sheet is handed out to them which doesn't give any information about the conditional approval or the lack of studies so that is already a violation of Article 8 of um, Regulation 510 of uh, 2006, a ridiculous um, form of uh, information form which is completely inadequate for a substances where, where essential studies have not been performed. And then this form is signed by the so-called vaccination physician and the person is considered or is declared uh, capable of uh, receiving the vaccination that does not uh, represent the um, prescription that is required for uh, such a um, medication uh, for a substance that has no confirmed uh, status of efficacy and safety in addition with these substances we deal with the fact that these substances are not um, effic um, efficacious for um, avoidance of the um, uh, infection with the virus, or they weren't uh, approved for that because EMA, in its own um, evaluation reports um, as EMA does uh, did it for all four vaccines in the course of the approval procedure these assessment forms can also be found on the internet all you have to uh, enter is um, assessment report and the name of the substance and this as assessment report EMA itself declares that there is no data available on uh, these substances and that EMA does not know whether it uh, they can interrupt the um, infection so whether they are efficacious against um, um, the um, infection against this virus we know by now on the basis of the facts that have emerged over the last few months that this lack of efficacy um, is not only uh, something that occurs in the uh, studies, but that in reality they do not have this efficacy. So, in other words, this substance, these substances have not been able to be uh, verified for the protection of thirds uh, persons, um, uh, and they weren't approved for that because the attachments on the decisions concerning the limited the conditional approval and that's why I keep getting keep referring back to these attachments they're really essential because these attachments are an excellent defense against the vaccination mandate these attachments that come from the EU Commission clearly show that these substances <coughs> are inefficacious when it comes to uh, preventing the disease of COVID-19. That's what it's all about. Um, it's about 
um, the avoidance of severe cases of uh, COVID-19. And again, EMA, um, in its assessment reports, declared that based on the small number of clinical studies before the conditional approval, it was not possible to draw statistical conclusions concerning the uh, avoidance of even these severe cases of COVID-19. So even that. Renate, now the situation, and I think you explained this already, is that from the documentation that was submitted to get the conditional approval, we can see that neither the producer, the producers have can say neither th anything about the efficacy nor the safety. And by the data that we have now, um, and based on the government propaganda, we can say that these uh, vaccines, as Dr. Brunner confirms, per se are not vaccines because typically they are there to immunize. Uh, against uh, disease and they have nothing, neither personal nor sterile immunity and uh, don't stop the passing on of the uh, disease. So the uh, at most uh, severe uh, developments and by now we know that this is not the case, so they are completely ineffective. Yes, even as far as the severe diseases are concerned, the EMA explains due to the basis of the small few number, small number of cases in the uh, test group and the placebo group, no statistically relevant conclusions could be drawn. And as you rightly say, the producers in their so-called risk management plan, which is also available on the internet, so just enter risk management plan, and uh, the name of the substance, Comirnaty or Spike Wax or whatever, uh, the chapters missing information are there. So, lack of information where the producers themselves declare that they have no information on the effect of these substances um in the short and long term in the long and medium term but that's obvious because these substances were created and thrown to the market within a couple of months only and they explicitly state that they have no information on the effect of these substances on pregnant unborn children on uh, nursing children on people with a problem in the immune system and with people that have an inflammatory process in their bodies. So it's clear that this can hit anybody and, oh, we see, it is very apparent that we have many, many uh, severe side effects by uh, sportsmen. <clears throat> I've talked to many uh, doctors, I don't know if uh, Wolfgang Vodak shares this, somebody who is in the training, they always have something where they have a little inflammation by the training. It is uh, very clear that especially sportive young people are affected by these adverse effects and, uh, and, and uh, suffer severe consequences. So we are really risking with these substances 
to harm young and healthy people, people who are top fit and uh, make them uh, invalidize them or even uh, kill them. I uh, myself have a case of a 24 year old who got their commonality shot and had a massive brain bleeding dying of that only 10 days after the vaccination and now the pathologic uh, the post-mortem is being done and we have many many cases of young healthy people who either don't wake up in the morning or who simply collapse and this is completely covered up by the main media it is swept under the rug the health authorities on their own behalf do not require postmortems the relatives have to take care of this who are of course under shock in the first days after the death of someone of their relatives especially as they were caught in this vaccination narrative and uh, can't really oversee what uh, has happened and that there may be a connection and there is a psychological barrier also in many cases if they maybe have even sent their son or daughter to get the vaccine and this is why we have hardly any postmortems and even for the postmortems uh, you have to uh, make a complaint against negligent uh, for negligent uh, death and murder because otherwise the attorneys general are very very reserved in requesting postmortems even with young and that even with young healthy people this is scandalous it can't be the case that young healthy people simply collapse and day die and that the authorities don't on their own behalf as they are um, obliged to do pharmacovigilance uh, and take action it is not just in the interest of the um, relatives and uh, to come up with their claims which is something that i'd want to talk about as well and uh, have an autopsy done <coughs> in order to establish a causal relationship but also uh, we have the vaccination on a global level with with experimental substances and we are now subjecting the whole population now also including the children we're moving towards uh, vaccinating babies injecting babies with these substances without a risk to uh, a life and no pharmacovigilance is done with substances with the conditional approval and active pharmacovigilance should be guaranteed and it's not and even if it did happen and others uh, file a complaint 
they are facing massive difficulties in order to get a post-mortem at all. So this is a crime in a dimension that is simply unimaginable and uh, growing every day. And if we become aware of this, uh, you can't rest uh, sit back and rest i get many many requests i can't answer all the requests that i get and i do request the attorneys and the judges to become active to take action every day that passes every single day that passes with attorneys and judges not taking action they are responsible for every single death and injured person and I state this here publicly deliberately in front of the Cymru this is a complete failure and it can't be the case that people risk their life and their health because the legally the justice system hides away and pretends that they are involved with normal vaccines because they don't look at the vaccine the documentations for whatever you could expect uh, suspect uh, cowardness corruption whatever all of this is completely illegal and i want to state this here very clearly it can't be the case that a handful of lawyers only is excuse me i beg your pardon well just just take a short break Renata. i wolfgang would you take over uh yes i have i have a question to renata you have very nicely summarized the regulations and looked it up in the EMA regulations and it is all spelt out there and if you read it you know this is uh, illegal do you know that after this conditional approval that has been granted whether after that any other regulations or conditions had been reported that uh, blinded or or changed has there been any uh, thing uh, subjected later on pharmacovigilance or others or is the first approval still valid well as you can tell from these approval documents studies should be performed but it's extremely difficult to get access to this data some journalists are after it we uh, need to uh, submit uh, petitions to um, disclose this data as it was done in the US with the Freedom of uh, Information Act where the FDA now started to um, make um, studies publicly available. We have to do the same thing with EMA here because there's no transparency at all here. We know one thing, that the annual approval we had uh, by Pfizer-BioNTech was uh, approved on the 21st of December of last year. And um, this has already been extended by year. The same goes for Moderna. So, Spike Watts uh, by Moderna, this was approved on the 6th of June of this year. 
and has already been approved for another year conditionally by EMA and again based on data which is different uh, from the one that uh, would look at the disastrous failure in uh, efficacy of this uh, substance. It's data that refers back to the beginning of this year rather than the summer or fall of this year where we could see already that the so-called efficacy of these substances with a view of preventing the disease was de facto inexistent. And we can see it on the intensive care units now as well that this information is largely undisclosed. We got this information from uh, ICU staff members and know that mostly it's people who have uh, two um, shots or even three shots rather than as is being uh, said by the media that it's uh, virtually only uh, people who are unvaccinated and uh, treated with these substances. That is just not true. And the extension for another year has been granted on a basis that does not take the current status of affairs into consideration. And this application for extension of approval was submitted very early, uh, used with uh, uh, on the basis of data where this disastrous uh, failure of the efficacy uh, of these substances was not yet visible. This is a legal act, uh, the approval and the uh, prolongation of the approval also, and that is a legally binding decision. And of course, documentation has been provided to reason this this documentation did i understand that right it is not um, um, uh, seeable or can we find it anywhere i mean the early documentation that has been submitted um, before we had noted it all because then that documentation could be comparable to other figures and it could be shown that this is a very big discrepancy but we have to have the documentation for that exactly and you have to submit uh, an application for disclosure. I know that such uh, applications have been submitted, have been filed, and that they're ongoing. Uh, so if authorities do not uh, publish such uh, documents voluntarily, you can uh, file a lawsuit. You can do that, just like it was done in the US. Uh, in the context of the Freedom of Information Act, you can uh, file uh, a lawsuit and you do that in front of the European mm. Court of Just Justice. So you have to application, make an, a specific application, submit a, a specific application. I know they're ongoing and they have to be imposed by uh, court. There was an action once by European parliamentarians many years ago, I think 10 years ago already, where the EMA th acted the same way. They didn't publish uh, the uh, um, uh, disclose the clinical studies. And then the uh, parliament 
uh, banned or, or didn't um, uh, release the budget for EMAR, and that worked. The question now is, can European parliamentarians, if there were a group of them, could they create pressure and ask for this, or do they need to have majorities in the parliament as a whole? Well, in principle, an MEP who was elected, of course, to the European Parliament by the citizens uh, of the European Union. So uh, an MEP doesn't only rep represent uh, citizens of his own uh, member state, but of uh, the entire EU has, of course, a privilege. Uh, they need to be in a position to have a special um, rights of information in order to uh, be able to participate in decisions in the uh, European Parliament um, on the basis of good information. So he has to be able to uh, cast, so he can cast his vote or her vote. We know that the majority of MEPs uh, currently do not meet their obligation to demand transparency and to, guarantee, uh, to impose uh, the guarantee of um, the health of EU citizens. But we know that there is a group of uh, MEPs, and one of them has already uh, spe been speaking to this um, committee. And this group is slowly but gradually growing, but every MEP has, of course, a special obligation to demand such information. And, of course, they can actually argue that they can't uh, dispose their duties. Of course, that will be politically very important that the people you can find out who is your MEP and then you could request them even those they uh, that ask for a mandatory vaccination now you can ask them to share the and uh, look at the basis of their decision and prove that they know the data if they don't know the data then uh, they are very negligent in their decision <clears throat> and i think this is something that we can request the MEPs to do that, that they have the arguments for their decisions. If they can get these data, this should be done before they raise their hand for anything. Well, because at the end of the day, they'll all be held responsible. What you just mentioned, Renate, this um, decision by a U.S. Court of Justice is based on this Freedom uh, of Information Act um, um, inquiry. The uh, Covinati uh, data were disclosed, which were uh, supposed to be held secret for 55 years. The court has ordered FDA to disclose the data used uh, as a basis for the uh, emergency authorization for the Pfizer uh, shot. So um, the same has to apply here because we have only conditional approval here as well, and we want to know what uh, data they base it on. So the FDA has been ordered to disclose this and every month they have to disclose 500 documents so the first ones have already been disclosed and you probably know that but the viewers mightn't 
and uh, the uh, doctors say how this product uh, could not have been removed from the shelves within the first few months. And we're talking about the study, which hasn't been concluded yet. 42,000 people have been involved, 1,227 deaths by February. By February, if you take a look at the number of um, side effects for the 42,000 uh, and a few um, uh, participants uh, really uh, makes you gasp and of the side effects one out of 37 is lethal that's crazy that's madness that's the type of information we need to have and that is the piece of inf the type of information that EU uh, 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 MEPs need to know and if they don't demand it then they're all <clears throat> responsible is this data that has to be published in uh, US, is that available for Europe as well? So that we can take the data published in the US, also applies for Europe, uh, for EMA? Of course, of course, no question. The studies are basically identical. They, those are these studies, and that is of course relevant for approval by EMA. And that is why Uh, and we have to underscore this, it is in incredibly important for us that at least the judicial system in the US is still functional, at least to an extent, because here it is completely dysfunctional. We are uh, completely exposed to these crimes, um, and this is the full responsibility of the uh, judicial system. And there are countries like the US where obviously there are judges and courts of law that still rule on the basis of facts and the law. And this is why it is quite crucial that we use this information. The first part has been disclosed and it shows already this enormous dimension concerning the lack of safety of these substances. We can immediately use that. That is not a question what we, what I also would like to say, considering that these substances require a prescription, it isn't acceptable that a, an authority decides uh, for everyone, for the entire population, that they say, okay, if you can't prove that that uh, you have one of uh, the conditions that exempt you from um, the COVID-19 vaccination. So in Italy, there's a very short list of um, diseases that will exempt you from an, uh, a vaccination, even though the manufacturers um, have declared themselves that they have no idea what happens if you get these um, injections and that we have this massive uh, numbers of deaths of blindness of the worst kinds of side effects it is insufficient it is not enough for an authority um, or a, a government um, instructing an authority to impose uh, treatment with an experimental substance instead due to EU uh, regulations for these substances, a physician has to prescribe 
this medication and then the physician has full liability for this. The physician has to explain to the patient why he believes or she believes that an experimental substance for which neither the efficacy nor its safety have been established that the treatment with such a substance for a healthy person who in no way has a realistic high uh, risk of contracting a COVID-19. Why such a physician would prescribe such a substance, an experimental substance to that patient? Um, it is even given to people who have already contracted the disease, gone through it and therefore have antibodies. In Italy, we have the COVID-19 vaccination mandate, even for staff members of the health system who already have antibodies against uh, SARS-CoV-2 in their body. And where this can be proven and um, the EU uh, legislation and the national um, law in Italy uh, clearly say that a physician may only prescribe such a substance if they fully inform the patient, which never happens, and if they, the physician, assumes responsibility and liability for any consequences resulting from this. So a physician has to, um, a, a, a physician specific individually has to take responsibility for the uh, prescription of such, a, such an experimental substance. And that's not happening right now. And if anybody is obliged to allow themselves to be vaccinated against a virus with a medication that has only been licensed against the development of uh, the disease, then this would mean prescription uh, off-label of a, medic um, of a uh, drug that has never been licensed, has never been approved for the purpose that uh, is intended by the vaccination mandate. So for the uh, prescribing physician, if there is a prescription at all, we have no prescriptions in Italy. It happens entirely differently. Um, there would be liability for this uh, physician that they can impossibly assume. And that is very important to inform the uh, physicians about this. It's really important to inform them about this because they don't know about this. That's the goal, Renat. They are not supposed to know and they're not supposed to feel personally responsible and reliable. Um, actually, we are far behind Wolfgang and Renate. There's two Irish journalists in the line waiting for us. Um, maybe try to keep it short so that we don't have to keep them waiting for too long. Yes, I want to say something about the situation in Germany. Basically, here the vaccination is an 
uh, harm to the body if it is not done by a doctor who can um, document a higher benefit than a risk. That is something that the doctor has to prove in every single case. That's the uh, trade-off the uh, doctor has to make and see whether the whether it is indicable um, protecting somebody against a severe sickness that's what's said that's not proven however and the uh, the doctor can't prove this that this indication was made and as this is an experimental shot the doctor has to inform the patient about this and he has to do so in great detail that there's little experience and that this is why the risk is higher in this case and this um, medical duty can be um, delegated to uh, staff that does this and uh, <clears throat> they can the staff can do the vaccination themselves it uh, doesn't have to be the doctor himself but the doctors are still li liable and they the doctors have to make sure that their staff is able to do it has all the information and provides it and does this professionally so every every decision to take a vaccination is not a decision taken by the doctor it's a decision taken by the patient after the doctor has informed them it can't be the doctor who decides it has to be the patient it's always the patient and this is why the patient has to be informed that's very very clear and in addition we have the situation that a doctor can't know um, about the risks right um, in the studies that have been used for the approval there's lots of exclusions many people couldn't take part in the studies because they had certain chronic diseases they had certain handicaps and this is and here deliberately information has not been collected uh, for a start and mo many of the people who have been excluded from the studies now are obliged to suffer these vaccines and it is obvious that all deliberately um, information has been omissed omitted and so these new gene therapy injections are made it's simply experimental they are called vaccinations but if i think of sargensma which was a drug to um, help children who have a muscle disease and make sure that this protein that they need which they can't produce themselves is produced they get a vaccine with a nuclein uh, nucleic acid which is um, allegedly not inherited and only effective for a certain time and that is quite clearly gene therapy everybody agrees to that and if i look at the pharmaceutical industry i can um, uh, recommend the article written by paul schreier on this gene therapy and vaccination in multipolar he quotes the the boss of Bayer, mr ulrich director of the medical department who said on the health summit in berlin 24th of october the vaccines are an example for cell and gene 
therapy. If we had a public survey two years ago, who would be ready to subject themselves to that and have this um, substance injected? Probably 95% of the people would have rejected. This pandemic has opened the eyes of many people to innovations in a way that was not possible before. So this last sentence is, of course, lied. Nobody's eyes were opened. Uh, the eyes have been shut by the media so that the people don't know what's going on with them. There's no information that's been made available. Who was quoted? He was the, sh the boss of Bayer, the medical division of Bayer. <clears throat> He talked at the World Health Summit on the 24th of October in Berlin. If we had offered just this two years ago to the people, people would have to, uh, told us to go away. We're not guinea pigs. And another quote also in that article, I think it's great work that he did here. In October 2019, just before it all started, the boss of Biontech, said as to our knowledge there is no incidence for an indication for mrna immune therapy which we are developing which is um to be approved by the fda or the ema or any other authorities the product candidates could not be effective or only be little effective have toxic toxic characteristics that prevent uh, marketability and restrict their use and uh, there is lots of risk in the approval process so he says don't expect much lots can go wrong and uh, that's it Wolfgang, what you're saying about Paul Schreier summarizing is what you have been underpinning all the time here. The disaster that these are not vaccinations, but this is gene therapeutic experiment that have been disguised as uh, vaccines. Because if the people knew it, um, uh, they wouldn't participate. The European Commission, the European Parliament, the German government, and probably others, and the German Parliament, by their decisions, have ensured that people can be uh, deceived, and this can be called a vaccine, even though what they're doing is the same thing as genetic uh, therapy. Nucleic acid is taken to the cells so that it uh, produces something that it would not uh, naturally have produced, something entirely external. And then we have these so-called new uh, vaccines that are supposed to uh, give us hope, that are in the pipeline, that all want to have uh, some of all that money. They want to share the pie. They do something else altogether. They ensure that our immune cells are hyperactivated again via nucleic acids. So again, with nanoparticles and nucleic acids uh, are taken to some cells, uh, ensuring that certain uh, communication between the immune cells happens in a different way than normally, completely experimental without. There is too little knowledge about this. It's all speculative. And uh, with uh, that, they wouldn't. Uh, they simply uh, say it on on the stock exchange. We have something new. Um, they attract a lot of money. Um, the uh, uh, governments have pre-ordered it already, and then it's being uh, injected into us like guinea pigs. Uh, 
So the pandemic pandemic opened their eyes. Bullshit! It closed their eyes in in uh, many senses. And I think that is important. I would like to uh, officially apologize for all those who are worried now, who uh, write me, uh, who say, please, what can I do? I have this uh, disease and that disease. And I have to say, yes, we don't. Uh, it's true that it, uh, we don't know anything about it. You would have been excluded from the study. No data has been collected. And uh, they are being locked in. They're not allowed to leave their homes anymore or meet their neighbors or whatever. And um, there's that's something where we can only say people take it to court. And the public prosecutors and the legal experts, uh, we have to say, how do you want to continue doing your job a couple of years down the road if you uh, simply look on? We can see so many people dying uh, after these injections as it was never the case before after any vaccinations. And that with a substance where we know that it, uh, by now we know that it doesn't stop um, infections. Uh, people get Zaskov to, and they can pass yes. it on. It's completely effectless. So we have concrete uh, um, indications, and you've probably heard of this. We can't detail yet, but it's very clear by now or evident that the two mRNA, Pfizer and BioNTech, actually lead for the immune system to be switched off. The others are not better. The spike protein is in there, which is toxic. Or you've explained it many times. It is usually caught in the throat if it's injected. It can cause horrific damage. And the mRNA vaccines and apparently do switch the immune system off. If I think um, like a detective now, and I learned that in um, the federal parliament um, to be suspicious, it's quite possible that things are being um, tried out now that have been discussed for many years. There are many scientists who know there's microDNA and there's seRNA. Those are switches that switch on or off uh, communication, there's epigenetic uh, processes, there's a genome. We know there's this helix DNA uh, sort of thing, and that uh, contains as much information as a huge uh, encyclopedia. And the body only needs uh, just a few uh, pieces of information at any given time. And there are some substances, nucleic acids, that uh, run around, that collect the information that is needed, that uh, combine it as required that is an incredibly intensive uh, feedback process. The body uh, controls this, and this communication has developed over so many eons. And then uh, some idiots come along who have deciphered some letters, maybe a few words, and then interfere with this hugely complex communication within our bodies. And we are the guinea pigs. That is something that must uh, should never have done with uh, humans and uh, the head of um, the CEO of uh, Bayer said correctly that nobody uh, would accept this, that all this uh, immune uh, communication is uh, shut down. 
uh, this is something we can't accept and that the immune system is shut down is due to the fact to this interference with the communication. We have these cells that uh, uh, create certain uh, inflammatory processes um, and, and there are uh, cells that um, kill uh, cells with this uh, these inflammatory uh, processes and there's other cells that make sure that this doesn't take too long once um, the uh, the fire has been extinguished by the fire brigade then they keep uh, flooding all the uh, neighboring houses even though the fire has been extinguished and if these watchdog cells uh, aren't in place anymore or don't work anymore and there's a lot uh, to be said for uh, an interference with this feedback uh, mechanisms, then this is damaging to the bosses, uh, to the uh, uh, body. Then these um, processes keep going and going and going. And then you do get uh, long COVID only with the people who got the vaccine. And if we uh, stop the uh, vaccination status to be um, registered, then you can't look into uh, what's happening. If you don't look, then it's really negligent. Well, it goes far beyond, anyway. Wolfgang, uh, sorry, but but if you do it because you're paid for it, well, I I I look at the uh, physicians' uh, threads in the social media. They only all ever talk about the money. Hardly does anyone say something, asking a, a tentative question. And if he sticks his head out of uh, about the parrot too much, then the others all attack him. They get 28 euro for a single injection. Imagine that, uh, and this is being done by an, um, by an aide. And then uh, the doctors come, okay, I have 15 to 25 people that get the vaccine. Imagine that's 500 euro a day. That's a lot of money. Others never get this, no matter how hard they work, and they get it, by the way. That's good business. They can build a home, a new home for that. It's incredible how many people are ready to sell their souls for money. And Yes, and they, they don't even talk to each other, uh, voicing any doubts. Did you hear? Is it really good for the patients or whatever? No! We got enough money for it. That's what you uh, what you hear. Um, shame on you is all I can say. Absolutely. Uh, a question to Renata: Maybe this liability and the uh, prescription problematic hits the uh, pharmacies and the dentists as well. Usually, they the pharmacists are not allowed to do this, are they? Well, it's the same thing uh, as with the vets. I uh, wrote an article when we had this. Um, scandal with these uh, pharma uh, pharmacists in Bottrop and uh, where uh, they made uh, this uh, uh, anti-cancer vaccine and they uh, uh, diluted it um, and the vets they earn money with every uh, single vaccination that they uh, sell so the more they uh, vaccinate, the more they can earn. So they can earn more money with the vaccinations and with their treatments. And if the same happens for um, the um, uh, the doctors and pharmacists, that they sell the vaccines that they sell. It's a very simple logic answer to this. If 
experts are liable, then laymen will be as well, who are so clearly uh, off. No, if they work at um, uh, but no, on, on the order of higher levels. That's exactly the Nuremberg Codex. It doesn't rely, relieve anybody if they say, I just followed orders. What about the judges uh, or whether uh, health or justice minister says don't do anything about it? It's exactly the same, exactly the same thing. Isn't it true? I remember Martin uh, saying at some stage by the Minister of uh, uh, Justice saying this uh, case is not pursued. If the Justice Minister uh, says that, isn't he uh, responsible personally? Does he attract uh, all liability? Yes, that's a very, very clear question of uh, liability law. He goes far, far beyond what his immunity covers this is anti-ethical, deliberate anti-ethical action. There's no immunity worldwide for this type of behavior. Wolfgang, we're so sorry. We are in delay. We have to go to uh, over to the two investigative journalists. I'm very thankful to you two, uh, especially for the emotional way of presentation. It's uh, incredible. It's simply incredible. Well, as Renata said, it's so extremely important. She did such good work here uh, looking at existing law. Normally, other, otherwise, we can sell any junk we want in uh, in the pharmacies. Why do we speak about indications, about uh, approvals? Um, we just ask the minister what we can sell, and he tells us we're in a uh, anarchy, a medical anarchy. And the entire um, EMA authority, we can bypass it. You can just leave it. They yeah. can all be fired. We don't uh, need those people who don't do their job. Well, we know that at the top there's someone who was put there directly from the pharmaceutical industry. No questions anymore. For us, it's clear the general public will will probably have to read or see this. I'm seeing that, unfortunately, we have lost one of our Irish journalists. We have to switch over, Wolfgang. I'm so sorry. So, again, thank you. Okay, I'll, I'll stick around. Thank you, Renata. Yes, I, I recommend everybody to fight back with that uh, prescription, with that mandatory prescription. Now everything is lost. We can continue, Wolfgang, because both the Irish participants have uh, just logged off because they uh, probably uh, told themselves we can't wait around for an hour and they're probably not too wrong in that. Now, we still have a few minutes left before we uh, continue with a few Polish soldiers. Now, Corbyn will have to schedule the two Irish journalists uh, for next week and we'll have to uh, organize it better so we don't allow the organization to we've uh, got a, run amok we've here. got a wonderful situation in Ireland that the uh, community, which is nearly 100% vaccinated, have the highest indices. Yeah, it's the same. And I can only say that here as well, 
the status is not reported, uh, it's not seen, it's not checked who got the vaccination in the hospitals, but in England they do report and the figures that come there, the share of vaccinated and unvaccinated in the severe situations, also the so-called COVID-19 cases, shows quite clearly that there's an eclatant increase. They are much, much more ill than the people who didn't get the vaccination, yet that uh, completely contradicts the German data. It's the same thing as in Gibraltar, 100% vaccination, highest incidence worldwide. Now we have back one of the two... Uh, Journalist Gemma O'Doherty is back and uh, will try with her. Thank you, Wolfgang, again, Gemma. Gemma. Ich bin wieder mal in der dummen Keeping you waiting for so long. Uh, are, you, are you with us or have we lost you again? I think we're here. Can you oh, hear me? Great. Yes. Hi. Very good. Hello, how are you? So, I'm here with my colleague John Waters. Yes, very, um, very nice to have you on board. Uh, did you were you able to follow what um, in English what uh, Dr. Holzeisen and Dr. Vodak explained to us? I'm afraid no. My German is fairly well, basic, so maybe we, we, you, we get the idea. Yeah, we know we know what you were talking about in general terms. They're talking about the uh, vaccine mandates as they have been pronounced, but they're not there yet, uh, both for Austria and for Germany, by criminals, of course by real criminals. Our chancellor to be is someone who is involved in every major financial scandal. And you are going to talk about such things, uh, including the financial industry, uh, uh, too, right? Aren't you? Yes. Well, Reiner, I think we wanted to make it very clear that Ireland, despite its location and its um, position, I suppose, the perception of it being a sort of sleepy backwater, we want to let the rest of Europe know, continental Europe know, that in fact Ireland has been recolonized by big pharma and big tech in the last 20 years. It's very sad given our tragic history and our long fight for freedom uh, from British rule that we now find ourselves under the control of these corporations who come to Ireland and have their global and EMEA headquarters here for Europe, Middle East and Africa. Companies such as Twitter, Facebook, Google, Microsoft, Pfizer has a massive plant here and a number of plants here, all of the criminal big pharma companies. And now that Ireland is the only English speaking country left in the European Union since our neighbours departed, they saw this as a great opportunity to come in, especially many of the international banks who are housed in the city of London. In Ireland, they're discovering they can get away with anything because we've had rampant corruption in this state really, well, really since its foundation, which is we're, we're marking 100 years of independence from British rule around now. And, you know, sadly, the country was taken over by two political parties who have strangled it for the guts of a century and served themselves, not the Irish people. The Irish people are becoming a minority. These globalist pharma and big tech companies hire mostly uh, people, many of them from third world countries. And sadly, these people now are being used to 
keep the Irish people out of shops, out of churches, out of courtrooms. Um, we are nearly a minority in our own country. In parts of Dublin, you will only find 2% Irish. And it's beyond devastating. Is that because of all the employees of these major corporations? Yes, Ireland has among the lowest, one of the lowest rates of corporation tax in the world, around 12%. It's going to be increased soon to about 15%, but most of the companies that come here to evade tax uh, will not, they will still remain on this 12%. So Ireland is a tax cheat. I'm not a big fan of tax, full stop. But what has happened as a result of, I think we have something like nearly 1,500 multinationals here employing about half a million people. Now, the population of Ireland is only 5 million Irish. We've no idea how many migrants have been brought in, but it, it, the numbers are enormous. Um, so Irish indigenous, indigenous industry has been demolished. And the reason we have so much subservience in Ireland to the state is because so many Irish people are either working for big tech, big pharma, big government, or big banking. That's the problem. That is, those are the main industries, right? But this is not, it's not been going on since, since, since Corona started. It's been going on for years, hasn't it? Because I know the financial industry has had a very strong foothold in Ireland for a long time, mainly, of course, for tax evasion. That, that's correct, uh, uh, Rainer. Uh, this goes back really to the 1970s when there was really a decided uh, shift in policy, in industrial policy, where it was decided that the economy was essentially a failure, which wasn't actually true, but that the best way forward then was to rely on foreign direct investment. And the, the government and the industrial authority started to seek to uh, invite and to, to attract uh, multinational industry, and starting with the chemical industry, who started to come here in the 1970s, and they were actually offered the, in, in, you know, that the right to pollute the, the Irish landscape. That was part of the deal that was struck. That the natural endowment factor of, as they call it, of the Irish of, of Ireland could be offered up to these people to attract them to say to them essentially, look, you can come here and you can pollute as much as you like because nobody will notice for a very long time. You know, that the absorption capacity of the Irish landscape was actually peddled in this deal. And that was the start of it. And then the, the, the uh, financial services then in the late 80s, after the, the Irish economy went through a very serious turbulence, as many economies did at the time, but ours got a really severe shock in towards the, 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 about the middle of the 80s. And that was then the next plan that was brought onto the table was international services, financial services. And we set up the, the National Services Centre was set up in, in Dublin. And that started to basically launder money through the Irish economy. And the tax rate then, which was 12.5%, but in actual fact, the tax paid by many of these multinationals is negligible due to all kinds of uh, jiggery pokery that they can pull in, 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 you know, effectively they have zero tax rates, a lot of them. And, and uh, uh, then we had big, ta big tech coming in in the last 20 years. And Ireland is now the European headquarters of most of the main, if not all of the main tech, tech companies, Google, Apple, uh, uh, Facebook, Twitter, et cetera, et cetera. And they have exercised a huge amount of, of influence on 
not just policy, but on actually Irish life, on the very value systems of our country. For example, I mean, we have a very strong constitution in Ireland. It's based in English common law and also the natural law. So the, the, the fundamental rights elements of the constitution are extraordinarily strong to do with you know, personal rights, but also family rights and, and so on. And th that constitution has undergone three serious attacks up before the coronavirus uh, episode in the past, in the previous decade, an attack in the, in the guise of children's rights in 2012, which was purporting to, to give rights to children, but in actual fact, taking rights from parents and transferring them to the state. That was the, 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 slight of, the slight of hand that was pulled in that. And that one was passed, quite marginally, actually. And then in 2015, we had the so-called marriage referendum, which was uh, supposedly to introduce gay marriage. But in fact, what it did, or among the things it did, was destroy the very basis of the marriage contract between a man and a woman, because the natural elements of these, or you know, the pro procreational elements of these, no longer had any meaning, have any meaning in law now, because they have been rendered nonsensical by the possibility that a marriage can exist between people who are not, are not intrinsically a couple that is not intrinsically capable of procreation. So that's the, and then in 2018 we had the uh, 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 referendum on abortion, which brought our abortion into Ireland. And then we were told it was supposed to be just for hard cases and, you know, medical situations and threats of suicide and so on. Of course, it became exactly what we've expected, an industrial operation. And uh, abortion now has gone through the, through the, the roof. And uh, uh, this, but it, my thesis here is, uh, Rainer, that, that these, these, uh, these attacks were not about what they appear to be about. They were not about the marriage, they were not about abortion. They were about destroying essentially five articles in the Irish Constitution, not 40 to 44 inclusive, which have all the fundamental personal rights in them. And in fact, in the, in the Irish judiciary for over nearly 30 years now, there's been a really visible attempt to destroy the natural law elements of the Constitution. The idea that there are given rights that come naturally to people, to human beings, that are not extended either by the government, the state, the constitution itself, or the people to themselves. That actually these rights are coming from God, as, as it used to be understood. In fact, in the Irish constitution, the very first words are in the name of the most holy trinity. And that, of course, is a mechanism which, apart from being a, an acknowledgement of the Christian heritage, it is also a mechanism which allows these rights to be held out of the reach of tyrants, because if they belong to God, then they cannot be decided by men. That's the idea. But of course, in the COVID thing now, they have simply abolished, in effect, the Constitution and that Bill of Rights, those four or five articles. Uh, and this is why we, and myself and Gemma, decided uh, in April 2020 that we would mount a challenge in the courts to what was happening. We couldn't believe that even notwithstanding all the things that had been happening, that it was actually possible at all to say to people, you cannot leave your house unless we tell you so. You cannot go far more than two kilometers from your home unless we give you permission. This is absolutely anathema to the very basis of the Irish constitution, which is rooted in the, the common law principles, you know, which are really fundamentally that, you know, the people may do whatever they please, except that which they expressly forbid. The government may do nothing except that which the people permit. And that has been turned on its head now in these, in these last two years. And so we have been trying to fight this in the courts. 
uh, with some success of recent times, but really, uh, uh, you know, an um, uh, you know, ambush followed by bushwhack, really, in the first 18 months uh, of our effort. Uh, but we, are, we may be making some progress now, although we are cautiously optimistic, is the best I would put it. And that's because, finally, you got what in American courts of law would uh, be called certiorari. I mean, you have been allowed to go to the constitutional court, is that correct, to the high, or the Supreme no, I, Court, the uh, highest court? Well, it is, yes, it is. It, it, just before I got you, man, just very briefly, no, it, it, it's not quite, it is the highest court. Mm -hmm. Hello. Wolfgang, bist du noch da? Verbindung gekappt. Has the line been cut? I'm still here, yes. Wolfgang says. Uh, just, just a sec, ein Moment bitte. Irgendwas. Um, investigative journalists, give us a couple of minutes so that we can check what is going on here. We'll be with you in a minute. Can, can you hear me better now? Okay. It's impressive to hear how these values that uh, tie our society together and the role that the church used to play up until recently and uh, which uh, meant that uh, the state also had a certain uh, humility uh, uh, concerning these uh, values, what is good and what is bad. Um, that's what people agree on. They uh, agree on it via uh, religion. Um, and we have taken the European laws, the German laws, and we said we won't touch uh, religious freedom. Uh, people are still allowed to live according to their values. <clears throat> but actually, Wolfgang, exactly these traditional values, we could call them, are in all Christian and Jew, uh, Jewish societies, and these seem to be deliberately destroyed. A couple of days I uh, noted when I accidentally watched some TV, uh, advertising tells you that the whole world actually consists, at least in Germany, <clears throat> Austria as well, consists of uh, uh, lesbian, gays, and uh, foreigners, which is not a problem as such, but then suggesting that this is what characterizes us doesn't seem to be without intent. That is sold as liberation, but it is like allowing yourself to be driven. And the anchors that made life easy for us, uh, which have been um, passed down uh, by our parents, our grandparents, by school, etc. Uh, they told us what's good and what's bad, and that makes life easy because everybody else knows it, and then we go by that. Now that they tell us that's no longer true, it's like uh, cutting our moral anchor. The bad thing is, uh, once the anchor is, has been cut off, the ship just uh, 
drives uh, is driven by the winds and the winds that drive the ship is the economy it's not even politicians it's only the economy it's only organized egotism worldwide which has an entirely different value system it has a different uh, principle you're successful you do right if you um, are economically successful if you don't then um, you disappear you're wrong and that is where uh, even politics got on board and they pretend like they're a company like a big corporation like the state were a big corporation where politicians really have to make sure that all the other values religion family culture that all of that remains protected and politicians have fallen in line so much with this economical game of having uh, black or red figures we can see it with ireland um, where they say tax uh, doesn't matter come here um, earn money here they unrooted the entire yeah. irish society they turn everything on its head and that uh, leaves people puzzled and it takes a long long time it takes generations before you can um, agree on what's good on the positive behavior what goes what's um, acceptable what isn't if they show us that you can earn a heap of money by uh, being criminals that's what they're showing us and the legal system doesn't care that's what they're showing us why aren't they even uh, deal in heroin at least that leaves people happy in the past uh, the same people who used to make their money with coke and uh, heroin, they probably put their money in those syringes, into those injections, and legalize them. But they legalize them because they have a monopoly. If they legalized it outright, um, um, they wouldn't have a monopoly. They wouldn't earn any money. Um, it's only economic um, uh, um, thinking. They just uh, walk over dead bodies, just like they did with heroin. They uh, do it again they uh, try to obtain power over people which they will never be able to use because people and society are more complex than people can imagine so actually these values are anchored in the religions in each region and in each community really in the uh, indigenous people and so on that you are not allowed to kill other people that you don't uh, harm them in any way and, and some are allowed to walk <coughs> half naked the others aren't it's, it's still a universal approach that this is right because otherwise we couldn't survive as people and live together in a decent way if we were to be afraid it would happen that we walk out the door and somebody hits uh, chops our head off um, how should a community work in that condition on, on in the long run so it's crazy what has been dissolved here and here of course as it's apparently or it's uh, or not obvious it's not a direct attack that somebody shot in the streets but uh, nearly though yes uh, I'm, <clears throat> I'm really aghast at Reinhard May, Konstantin Decker, who those people who've always been talking about morality how they can shut up how they can uh, believe this uh, the people um, the artists they are they have such responsibility um, the, the, the contradiction between morality and and other morality and the values that are uh, 
passed down that always lead to discussion and conflict. What about um, um, having a mask? And uh, what about um, wearing a burqa, etc.? What about the morality in different countries? And can you do that here as well? That is not discussed at all anymore, all of a sudden. Well, if you discuss that, you are right, right wing, right wing. But even the right and left have been eliminated. No longer you can't do something with these things, concepts anymore. Where are those who are socially minded and democratically minded? Where are they? They are culminating in the complete failure, Chancellor. Well, forget it. What? The two Irish um, visitors are back. Uh, Wolfgang, we have been massively attacked. Our website is massively attacked, uh, but we can carry on. So uh, today it seems to be a very um, controversial what we're saying here, that we've been attacked immediately on YouTube. That shows that we have uh, put our finger on the wound. I couldn't change my homepage yesterday. It was blocked. I couldn't open it. I hope it was a technical issue. Well, everything is not necessarily caused by the criminals, but a lot of things. We'll try to get back into contact with the Irish. They only had a power uh, outage. That seems to happen in Ireland once in a while. But by the way, I can provide that link to the multipolar article on my homepage, and you can find it there. Okay, very good, Wolfgang. I'll write it down. It's extremely important. Also, for people who are blind, otherwise they can feel without seeing what's going on. So, if you read that, it's all original quotes. It is so contradictory that you really wonder, and it's it's laughable. Is that uh, genetic therapy and information by Paul Schreier? A vaccination fact check. Are the mRNA? Vaccines, gene therapy, or vaccinations. That's what it's called, a multipolar. It's in German. Okay. All right. So let's try again. Gemma and John. Apologies. So this was probably just an innocent uh, power outage, right? Of course. Like it happens all the time. Okay. If I can just pick up where you were. You asked me if this was Sergio or I. Supreme Court. Yes, the Supreme Court is the highest court in, in the in the land. Uh, but we're still actually, ironically, literally where we were the very first day, because we're still in the leave process. We're still applying for leave. So we have got. We went to the High Court. We were rebuffed there. We went to the Court of Appeal. We were rebuffed there. And then we went to the Supreme Court to appeal that denial of leave. And they have granted us then a hearing to see if we will get leave. So it's quite convoluted. So we're at the on the first round. Uh, the mulberry bush yet, yeah. uh, but but it is still a very optimistic sign that that there is some as we have climbed the tree, there has been uh, we'll say a little bit more intelligence and conscience perhaps than we found at the bottom. Um, a few years ago, I think probably six, seven, eight years ago, uh, right in the middle of. Uh, um, EU crisis, um, there was a German investigative journalist who I don't know what happened to him. I hope he's still alive. I hope he's still on the right side, who um, had a piece that dealt with Ireland. And there were protest marches um, out somewhere in the boondocks where uh, small groups of people, like 20 or 30 people, gathered and held a protest march protesting the EU measures 
that forced the Irish people, and they very well understood what was going on, that forced the Irish people to pay for the bankers' disasters created by their gambling casinos. Uh, German banks, Swiss banks, French banks, I believe, Italian banks, I don't know precisely what it was, but it was very obvious that the Irish people, those were really Irish people, not just those who were hired by the uh, international uh, corporations, that they very well understood what was being done to them, but it seems they didn't understand, and I didn't either, uh, that who was responsible for this. You're saying that your country has been held hostage by these two parties and, and, and is in a stranglehold because they have more or less sold, sold out to these foreign forces. Is that correct? Yes, yeah, absolutely. I mean, what you're saying is, is correct. The Irish people per capita paid the highest amount out of any European people for the last banking crash. And it's inexplicable but they were saddled with debt, astronomical debt. There's something like, I'd say it's probably more than 40 or 50,000 debt per man, woman and child in Ireland as a result of the 2008 crash now. Um, but, you know, sadly, the people are very subdued. As I say, they, you know, most of them rely either for on, on state handouts because our pol government policies have gone very left in the last couple of decades, and many people now are, are reliant on the state. They get unemployment benefit, they get single parent benefit, they get all sorts of benefits to keep them under control or else they're employed by the multinationals. And we had a phenomenal indigenous industrial base in Ireland, most, well, agricultural, really. We were, would have been able to feed half of Europe. We were fantastic food producers producing among the best beef and lamb in the world, fantastic pork. And a lot of it was done in small farms where the animals were well-treated by farmers who had come from agricultural backgrounds over centuries. They understood the land, they understood animals. Uh, then, you know, as John has explained, a big, big tech came in, big chemical companies came in and suddenly our clean food, our, you know, one of the things we're most proud of in Ireland became destroyed. And now when you drive around Ireland, you just see fields of sprayed grass. You don't see any crops growing anymore. And cattle in large sheds being kept in over the winter, they're not out grazing. The land is sprayed, heavily sprayed, and then warehouses everywhere where big pharma and big tech are carrying out their criminal activities and making vaccines for the rest of Europe. So it's so incredibly tragic what has happened to our country. It happens over and over again. We don't learn from the mistakes of history. And if the Irish don't learn this time, it's their last chance. I think they will all learn. All of us are learning right now because all of these monsters are pulling down their masks so that their ugly faces are in plain sight. We know who they are and we know what they're doing. And uh, may I ask, like, with, you know, if you uh, leave the corona issue aside, have a lot of Irish people been aware of what's been going on? Like before the crisis, were there like awareness of these, you know, these monstrous developments and like the, 
What just what you said, the destruction of well, the agriculture and, and these things? Yeah, this is interesting because I would say that uh, 30 years ago, I would have said yes. There was a great awareness. And I remember when I was a journalist, we were both, both uh, you know, journalists with the mainstream in the past. And we left, both of us have left the mainstream because it has become increasingly corrupt. But when I was working in the Irish Times in the early 1990s, like there was a kind of a... Uh, a ferment of, of activity in the countryside. I mean, I would be out speaking around the country about different sides, pollution, or, you know, the state of the Irish water, or, you know, and so on. And, and uh, that has died. As the younger generations have emerged and under the influence of big tech, they have been kind of, you know, stripped of any consciousness of what is, what is going on in their country, really. And if I, anytime I've been out recently, in recent years, I tend to meet the very same people now who are at the at the the the, the on, at the ramparts, like on these issues, as we're out, you know, 30 years ago. So there's a real generational problem there, where a certain cadre of not older people, yes, I would say, you know, people over 50 would have a very strong consciousness that something seriously has gone wrong with their country, and they would have a reasonable idea of what it was. But under that, no, no idea whatsoever. They they think that actually, you know, because. They talk about the figures which are put out about the Irish economy, which on paper look really really good. But of course, it's not the Irish economy. It's the multinational economy in Ireland. Just simply using Ireland, essentially, you know, Ireland prostituting itself to these people in order to, to create or to claim to create employment. But of course, the promise of employment has never materialized for Irish people because most of these companies have overwhelmingly foreign workers. Like Google, for example, has 95% non-Irish workers uh, in its Irish operation. So yeah, there's, there's not a lot of awareness. And, and in large part, that's because of the corruption of the media. We have possibly the most corrupt media in the world. I, I would say certainly in the Western world, of, of all, you know, because there is there is not any kind of real dissent within the media anymore. There used to be a marginal kind of culture, culture and ma magazine element, but that's gone now. And basically, you have uh, uh, one voice uh, emerging from newspapers, from radio, from television, and. Uh, then with uh, big tech controlling the internet more and more, controlling YouTube and so on, it's, in, almost, it's increasingly impossible for dissenting voices to come out. And in this present episode, they have been seeking to use that power to demonize anybody who dares to question what is happening at any level. Uh, in, in that way, that uh, Matthias Desmond spoke about on your your uh, program there some weeks, months ago, uh, you know, that they have begun to target people and create this kind of sense of, you know, uh, division and, and rancor between the population uh, in a way that is very, very toxic and becoming more so. Wow, that's crazy. How did they get all these people into the country, you know, this 95% like, say, foreign workers? I mean, maybe with some, okay, we need their skills, this kind of thing. Or is it, I mean, why was there not any sort of restriction or that you would need to hire first, like, people who are already in the country? Well, the, I mean, this, this is the irony of it all, because Ireland has a tragic history of emigration. Our people were forced out of here really from, I suppose, the 20s, well, throughout our history, we, we have been forced out of our own country. And that's why there's so many Irish people living in Australia, America, the United Kingdom. But then in the last 20 years, 
they started telling us, well, no, we need, you know, we need to be open to the world. And most sane Irish people were thinking, well, what about our own people who have had to, who've been forced to leave Ireland? Why can we not welcome them home so that they can raise their children in an Irish culture? But we were called racist, of course, for suggesting that outrageous idea. And um, so it's just wide scale corruption. I mean, the immigration service is utterly corrupt. The police are corrupt from top to bottom. And the Irish have been beaten down and told, if you dare to say that the Irish, that Ireland belongs to the Irish people, which is a, a claim made by one of our founding fathers, Patrick Pierce, but to say that now is to be a white supremacist, is to be, you know, anti, to be, to be a racist. So people, the Irish are living in fear. They're afraid of being made social outcasts in their own country. And, you know, the Irish through history, through European history, we pretty much did our own thing due to, I suppose, the fact that we had a very strong Catholic basis and we did not want to get involved in the world wars of Europe, which we, and we didn't do it. I think our founding fathers were quite clued in to what was going on in those wars and that we did not, they did not want to embroil the Irish people. They understood that wars were really just a depopulation, a method of depopulation. And I think we're learning more and more about both the First and Second World Wars. Oh, yeah. so, so we, you know, we were very protected under God. People gave their authority to God. Then in the last 20, 30 years, the media have been telling the Irish people the past was a horrible place. Ireland was terrible. People were so repressed. They had nothing. Well, in fact, I think they're starting to realize that the past was a wonderful place because people, they had a little farm, they had their own animals, they could sustain themselves. They didn't have all of this debt because under the original Irish heritage, to get into debt was an absolute no-no. And that came from Catholic social teaching. And, you know, so they've just been told your country was terrible and... Sadly, many of them do believe it. And they think the answer is in taking on large amounts of debt, having a, you know, building extensions, building second homes, building, getting the, you know, keeping up with the, the Murphys or the, the McGraths or whatever next door. And sadly, it's money. Money has destroyed them. Money that they don't have. Yeah. Banks. Have and, they and, and just to put that in perspective, just to, to give you a, a graphic image of what's going on, in, say, the five years uh, up to 2019, which is the last kind of figures we have that are uh, clear, uh, approximately every year, approximately 105,000 Irish people emigrated out of Ireland. At the same time, 120,000 people on average came from outside into Ireland. So the immigrants and the immigrants were mating at the airport. The Irish people leaving, the foreigners coming in. Nobody asked, why is this happening? Nobody asked, surely the Irish people are capable of doing these jobs in their own country. Nobody's even permitted to speak about it. And they are now introducing hate speech legislation to prevent to, in order to, to, to be able to jail people who continue to ask these questions. This is the level that we've, we've arrived at, that the, the, the corruption of the political process, essentially 
I would say what has happened is that the dependency which is brought about by the EU destroyed the quality of leadership in Irish life. I think it may have done this elsewhere as well, that in the, the kind of people that you would need in politics the, with the capabilities and the talents and the, the authority to lead a country no longer were attracted to politics because essentially politicians look at, were just messengers for the international, for the EU and so on. And so you got a much lower quality of person into politics. And they basically were incapable of running the country at all. And so they simply carried out whatever instructions were given to them. And that's, that's been particularly acute in Ireland. And you can see that in, the, in what happened after the, the crash of 2008 and the Troika, they, they came in, basically an invasion of Ireland to commandeer our books and our sovereignty. And essentially the politicians, while promising the people that they were going to sort it out in their, in their interests, essentially went out to Brussels and sold us down the river. And we and our children and our children's children now carry the burden of that debt, which is of course being added to every day now by vast expenditure with helicopter money uh, being used in the COVID situation. So it, we're now so far into debt that it's almost incalculable. It's meaningless in a certain sense. Of course, it's very meaningful in the sense it's a burden. But the idea that we made would ever be able to pay it back is beyond. There's no question we cannot. And that is the, the how there is essentially a gun to the heads, not just of the politicians, because that's always been true, but now to the people's heads. That that as if we have brought this about ourselves. Yes. I think what we all have to learn from this, I, maybe you have, you, you, you learned it the very hard way, but all of us are learning the same lessons. We have to disconnect from these global and semi-global institutions. We have to disconnect from the EU. We have to regain our individual sovereignties, our individual cultures, and we have to stop them trying to make us all look the same, feel the same, and do the same. We do have yeah. our individual families, our regions. We are not. Uh, uh, a no-name product that uh, you can buy everywhere in the world for the same uh, kind of money. We're different. That's why we have to disconnect and, and rely on our heritage. That, that's why our history is so important, because that's you're telling us what uh, your country has uh, gone through over the centuries. This emigration, of course, everyone knows this. The Irish are everywhere, except in Ireland. <laughs> uh, yes. So we have to take a very, very close look at our history, all of our histories, for the last couple yes. of hundred years or so. And also, yes. we, will, we will very soon find out that both the history of World War One and World War Two, we have to rewrite them because what we have learned at school and at the universities is only one very small part of the picture. We have to get a clear picture of what really happened. And all of a sudden we can see that it wasn't just Germany that started World War I and World War II, but it's the forces behind them, the financial forces that drove this, Anglo-American financial forces. Yes, indeed. And, and, and the point about the emigration, you know, in Ireland, this is always used to blackmail the Irish people. Well, you, our people always left and got, were welcomed somewhere else. Well, they went, they worked hard, they built America, that's true. And America needed them in a way at the time that Ireland does not need outsiders now. That's the last thing we need in order to build our country. And the point of it, more fundamentally, 
it seems to miss, this argument misses the very point that there, our country was stripped of its living energy right through the 20th century, practically. And so it could never really begin to build itself in a creative way and was entirely, always entirely independent on outside uh, forces and on, on resources, uh, as it were. Even though we had ample resources here, if we could have, have uh, summoned up our energies in order to tap them correctly. Uh, so there's all of this stuff going on, all that misinformation. Really what we are discovering in this, and in a certain sense, there is a blessing attached to this COVID period because it is allowing us to become educated uh, gradually about things that quite shockingly, we begin to realize that actually pretty much everything we knew or thought we knew was wrong, yeah. was, was a lie. Yeah. And, and that, that is helpful in a way, although it is uh, appalling in other ways, of course. Our, what's, our, the, what, yeah. sir, what's the current corona situation? I mean, are people aware that this is the narrative is not quite right or what, what well, are you feeling? In, in keeping with the modern Irish, sadly, we've, you know, the Irish have embraced it. They can't get enough of it. And we have the highest rates of vaccination, well, in uh, in the world. Yeah, yeah we're up at, not, they say 93%, but then they lie about everything. So you, you wouldn't know. But because so many people are reliant on the state, they, you know, will just take it. And as I say, we are a broken people and have been for centuries. So... Um, but we have these statistics coming out, for example, a, a county called Waterford in the southeast of Ireland has the highest number of COVID vaccination rates and the highest number of COVID cases. So, you know, the average Irish person is starting to see that because even the international media have covered that fact. And they are starting to see there's something wrong. But John and I firmly believe that the Irish they have to lose everything, everything they think is important, but isn't, you know, the material stuff, the lifestyle, the, you know, the, the modern way of being. Um, and and in, when they do that and get back to their ancient heritage, their roots, their ancestors who fought so hard for their freedom, our country was founded on a blood sacrifice, sadly hundred years ago and men walked to their deaths so that we could enjoy the freedoms that we have up until now when people get irish people get back to that then we will be free again and we it's in our genes we know it the words irish freedom go hand in hand and that because it's so recent and fresh for us you know we only celebrated in 2016 we marked the 1916 rising which was really the last attempt to and that the, the it was failed but we did out of it independence was born so it's it's fresh in our memories and you know it's only two generations ago really so there's no excuse they will come back to their senses they have yeah, to I, I think there is a degree of, of certainly a high degree of uh, what do we call hypnosis i think at work here clearly you know when you talk to people you realize that they have this very narrow band of fear about this singular thing this virus and it's almost like a, a, a local anesthetic which terrorizes them in a small way and then numbs the rest of them to all the other consequences so that it's 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 they're not aware of anything else except the fear they feel about this thing and the logic which they which runs through their head is entirely to do with this fear so it's impossible to engage people factually about things with, with information with the true facts 
and you know, I mean, it's quite bizarre the, the kind of things that are uh, happening. You know, and uh, the, the incongruency between, you know, for example, the PCR test. Everybody has known for nearly two years that the PCR test is a complete crock that it doesn't do anything like what it's supposed to do. And yet, every day, the newspapers, the media broadcast the, the cases. Yeah, they still cling to this hoax. It's incredible, but yes. the only reason, or the only way to explain this is, uh, if you look at the psychological terror program that they're using, that they're applying here, Professor Desmet explained it in great detail, they just repeat a lie over and over and over again until a vast majority of the people believes it's truth. But it's not. We know it's not. And 40% of the people who are still approachable, even in Ireland, are beginning to understand there's something not quite right. And once you're at that stage, there's no going back. People will find out what's going on. They will come back to their well, historical to their to their foundations. I'm pretty sure they will. Maybe not all of them, but many will. Yeah, and the, the COVID regime here in Ireland now, like many European countries, they're planning to lock people down in the run-up to Christmas. I was just looking at the headlines there on the, the mainstream news, and they're saying that um, families must be restricted to three, three, only three families can be allowed at one Christmas gathering. Six people at a table because COVID obviously knows if there's seven people. So this, I know, it, it's actually going to be the best thing to, to happen to us because it's going to bring so many people back to their senses. At Christmas, the Irish reunite. Many of our people who are abroad come home, like in Germany, like everywhere. And it is a time for family. It's a time for reconnecting with our Christian faith. And it's why, that's why the regime are, they go so crazy at this time of year because they don't want people to be reconnecting no, with their social distancing. That's, that's what's at the core of this. They don't want us to be c together because once we unite, we, we cannot be suppressed anymore. That's the big thing. I, you yes. know, I, I spent a couple of years in Chicago, and every year they have the St. Patrick Day um, when they dye uh, the, the river, the Chicago River, green, of course. And it's a shame to see that. I mean, on the one hand, it's great, but this should be happening in Ireland. And in Ireland, uh, you have hardly any people left. Uh, you're being, you're being uh, uh, taken over by, um, by global corporations. You have right. to regain your sovereignty. You really do. That's right. That's right. And the people who are in Ireland have been so terrorized yeah. out of their own sense of nationhood that they're afraid of expressing it in any meaningful way. The only time you see Irish flags in general in Irish life in the last 20, 30 years has been at soccer matches, which is an English game. It used to be called a foreign game by the Irish authorities, <laughs> you know? Uh, and now it is the only place where you actually can express your nationhood in a very enthusiastic way. You know, I, I would say though, in relation to the people, I, I, I obviously I am hopeful and, and so on, but we really do have the most corrupt media in the world. There's no question about it, but they are utterly craven. They're all utterly bought. It's quite staggering for us, for myself and Gemma, you know, because we were journalists for many years in the mainstream. And to actually watch this and to see people that we used to work with basically lying every day, all day long. And then the silence of those who, you know, I mean, I was a music journalist, a rock journalist for years, and these were kind of very cruel people, or very cynical, hard-bitten people. 
They're completely silent now. You know, it's, I, I really have no words to describe what has actually gone on here. And I was very, very helped by, by Professor Desmond when you had him on. Very, very interesting the way he brought all of this thing together. But we, we, it's still evasive in terms of our normative understandings of human life to our lives. You know, all of the talk about liberal democracy and freedom and justice and fairness and equality. And then now it's all in the bang in a matter of hours. And nobody thinks it's important. And we actually have to go to court and explain to judges what human rights are and what fundamental rights are. It's quite staggering, really. We will, we will regain these values, I'm absolutely certain. It's funny you should mention Professor Desmond because we're going to be playing a um, video a video clip at the end of our session today in which Robert Malone, Dr. Robert Malone, the inventor of the mRNA um, vaccinations or mRNA technique, in which he keeps referring to Desmond and yeah. says he's absolutely right. He's, he's, he's got it on the spot. He's hit the nail on its head. And we too, we believe that. And many more people are beginning to understand this. Um, John and Gemma, I'm sorry I have to, I don't want to cut you off, but uh, we're a little behind. There are a group of uh, Polish soldiers who are going to motivate all of us, but we're with you. We're with the Irish. Um, yes, but can, can you tell them to come to Ireland with their things with you and, and bring their guns? No shortcuts. <laughs> <laughs> I will, I will. <laughs> we're going to be arrested now. That, that was a joke. J-O-K-E, uh, Joe, thank you very much. Of course. Thank you, John, Gemma. Thank you for everything you're doing, Reiner, and your team. We appreciate it so thank, much. Thank you very much. And we're going to continue doing this until it's finished, until we put these people behind bars where they belong. Yes. Okay. No Take care. Take thank care. You. God bless. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hi, hi, hi. Das ist ein Ding new. Thing, eh? Well, well ev every time, wherever you look, it's always worse than you thought. And Bulgaria? Well, how are people going on there? This was an extreme example that we've just heard, wasn't it? Well, in Bulgaria, of course, we have one big benefit. We are the EU's poorest country. Nobody goes there. So this population exchange, uh, this uh, migration uh, that happened in Ireland doesn't happen here. It's, it's, we're not on the radar of, the, of Mr. Global, if you wish. Even though we're a low-tax uh, country as well, Gemma mentioned that uh, corporate tax 15% in Bulgaria, it's 10, right? So it's even better. But the living conditions are, of course, or the perceived, or shall we say, the projected um, uh, living conditions, the image, doesn't match up with reality. Um, of course, there are very, uh, very many people who have little money, uh, very poor people. We, are, um, we have the lowest personal income. Um, Gross, uh, domestic, uh, um, gross national product uh, per capita, absolute, etc. But you can live very well. There's a middle class, uh, all the IT jobs that were created there. 
And uh, life is pretty good. You're below the radar. And you're not um, in the focus of the global corporations uh, to the extent that um, is the case elsewhere, maybe. So um, it all is relatively pleasant still. There are measures there as well, of course, etc. And we're the last in the EU in terms of uh, vaccination rates. And, and I tell my Bulgarian friends... African situation. Well, not quite. I think Africa has 6% vaccination rate. We're at 25% or so. Up until recently, it was 20 Now, over the next uh, two to three weeks, there was a huge push, maybe four weeks already, um, under pressure by uh, Brussels, of course, this transition um, government we have there were elections on the 14th of November. The coalition negotiations are still ongoing. The third elections this year because no uh, government emerged and this technocrat um, transition government um, talked to the TV cameras and um, basically shit themselves and they say uh, Brussels is threatening sanctions, etc., this, that, and the other. And you can notice that there is pressure being exerted behind the um, scenes, but in day-to-day -day life, it's no comparison to what is happening here in Germany. Well, maybe the people are easier to motivate if the population understand what the EU has started here with Ms. von der Leyen at the top. Uh, maybe the people are easier to motivate to find that they have to disconnect from that EU. Well, well, it's the question really where do people take the legal basis for imposing what they are uh, proclaiming? But I think we'll speak about that later on. I looked at a little bit more, uh, at that in a little bit more detail, and you really scratch your head. And um, it was mentioned earlier on um, by um, uh, Ms. Holzeisen, i.e. going to the next level, where does the EU take the competency from to uh, make any statements on health issues? Because under the um, EU uh, contracts, that is not It's up to the member countries, really. Okay, anyway, before we go into detail of that, we'd like to turn to Poland and look at the situation of the soldiers there. And we need an interpretation, which is Beate. She's going to do that. Beate, are you in the Zoom? Great. Yes, you I'm are. here. We can, can get started. We're ready. Uh, we've been watching what's uh, going on. So uh, we're uh, connected. Jakob, Agnesia, um, can you um, switch your cameras on, please? Hello. Great. It's good to see you. Well, what is, we visited Poland, Viviane and I, the other day. I think we spent four days, very interesting, very nice people that we met. What is going on in the army? 
In the police forces, we know that about 50% are not ready to support the actions. But what's going on in the army? Interesuje nas aspekt, co się w tej chwili dzieje w Polsce z Państwa punktu widzenia. Wiemy, że policja mniej więcej 50% nie jest zaszczepionych, nie jest za tym, co się dzieje. Jak to wygląda od strony wojskowej? Jak to wygląda od Państwa? Ale może zanim zaczniemy, najpierw się przedstawimy, żeby było wiadomo, z kim mamy do czynienia. Ich habe gerade das übersetzt und auch vorgeschlagen, dass unsere Teilnehmer sich auch vorstellen. Das ist die Frau Agnieszka. Sie so bekommt, dass sie außerdem, dass sie eine Berufsvollgarten ist um, der polnischen Armee. Sie ist Fahrerin in der Armee, fünf Jahre in Dienst, aber sie spricht hier als Stellvertretende Uh, defend the uniform for future generations. It is an association, uh, um, it's an organization uh, founded by uh, soldiers and firefighters, and she speaks as the um, deputy um, chairperson of this association. Natomiast właśnie zawodowo jestem oficerem Wojska Polskiego i ze względu na to i jestem 12 lat w czynnej służbie, czyli całe dorosłe życie poświęciłem służbie wojskowej. I am Jakob Puszkik and I am the chair of that association and I would like to underpin this and we uh, defend the uniforms for former for future generations i am an official uh, officer of the polish army i've been serving for 12 years i have been a soldier with, for the whole of my adult life and from earlier talks we have we know that um will uh, that Jacob is a parachutist. And what's the situation for people who are in uniform? Um, he said uh, policemen, uh, military personnel and uh, firefighters. What's uh, the situation? Is there a vaccination mandate for members of these um, uh, groups? of these professions obowiązków w Polsce jeszcze nie ma tak naprawdę cały czas jest mówione w mediach i wszędzie że w zasadzie szczepienie jest dobrowolne 
Jeżeli chodzi o służby mundurowe, to tutaj każda służba troszkę inaczej została potraktowana. Najgorzej zostało potraktowane wojsko, ponieważ mimo oficjalnej narracji rządowej, że szczepienie jest dobrowolne, praktycznie brak szczepienia dyskwalifikuje żołnierza ze wszelkich służbowych aktywności. Basically, there is no mandatory vaccination in Poland, but there is an indirect mandatory vaccination, most severe for the military staff. They have problems in executing their services. If they fail to get vaccination. Yes, that's right, if they don't get vaccinated. Poczynając od zakazu wyjazdów na podróże służbowe, niemożliwości rozwoju się, uniemożliwiania uczestnictwa w kursach, poprzez skreślanie z nagród, znaczy z, no, ze wszelkich nagród z, i zarówno nagród pieniężnych, jak i nagród w formie urlopów nagrodowych a także na przykład uniemożliwienie właśnie awansowania i, i, i no i w zasadzie w zasadzie wszystkich wszystkich takich aktywności czyli w zasadzie taki żołnierz nie może no na przykład teraz z polskiej granicy są zdejmowani niezaszczepieni żołnierze nie mogą służyć ojczyźnie ci ludzie This indirect mandatory vaccination takes the soldiers so far that the traveling that they would need to do, so this is, you would call it business travel in other contexts, they can't do that, they um, don't get any benefits, with the normal benefits that militaries pay out, that uh, if you travel, and there's also material benefits and uh, immaterial, intangible benefits. And the last example Jakob mentioned, the soldiers that are at the border between Poland and Belarus have been removed because they were not vaccinated and that is um, in contradiction to their oath to protect their borders why were they withdrawn i didn't quite understand because they haven't been vaccinated the non-vaccinated have been oh boy drawn off. doesn't that doesn't that lead to questions among the other soldiers because we always learn that vaccinations uh, immunize uh, people. Sterile immunization means that you're not only immune yourself, but that you can also not pass on the virus anymore. Don't the soldiers ask themselves, why should the unvaccinated be treated more poorly if we're protected, uh, those who have been vaccinated? Well, 
system immunologiczny wzmocnić i do, doprowadzić do działania, żeby chronił człowieka, który się zaszczepił, czyli ten zaszczepiony jest chroniony, więc w jaki sposób zaraża jemu ten ktoś, kto nie jest zaszczepiony? Czy nie dochodzi do tego, że żołnierze zaczynają się i inni, którzy są w uniformach, w mundurach, czy się zastanawiają na ten temat? Ja uważam, że coraz bardziej się zastanawiają i dlatego powstało nasze stowarzyszenie i jednoczymy się właśnie w Polsce. Wiem, że to jest ewenement na razie na skalę europejską. Natomiast myślę, że coraz więcej ludzi w Polsce zaczyna nonsens tego wszystkiego zauważać. Jest bardzo mało ludzi chętnych na trzecią dawkę i uważam, że ten przełom u nas nastąpi znacznie szybciej niż w innych częściach Europy. Dlatego warto się przyglądać naszym działaniom. Well, um, I can observe that this is true. The uniformed are starting to ask questions. They observe the whole thing. Very few and, and ever fewer accepting uh, the third vaccination, the, the booster. Um, so that's probably unusual um, at the European level that the uniformed um, uh, staff should have joined forces. And it's interesting to observe the situation, the developments in Poland now, because uh, they're cooperating now. Well, question to Agnieszka. Now, the um, police and the uh, military personnel, what uh, stance did they take vis-a-vis -vis, uh, the uh, demonstrators because there were um, uh, quite a few um, entrepreneurs and other um, the demonstrations? Were there any um, cases where um, the uh, reaction overstepped, just like it happened in Germany? When it comes to soldiers, uh, they're not sentenced demonstrations, uh, so they don't even participate in order uh, to um, provide security when it comes to uh, police. Most of those that are sent are young policemen who are being undergoing, still undergoing training. So they are uh, a few of them. Oh, that that they're willing to uh, execute their orders. 
Yes, we've uh, got confirmation on this uh, from uh, different quarters in Germany that the older uh, colleagues aren't willing to participate and then younger policemen are being uh, employed, deployed, because they have been brainwashed over the last few um, years who have fewer inhibitions to uh, take action against their own friends, family. Yes. Well, yeah, I imagine. Now, what is the fundamental mood in the army? We uh, have received a lot of letters from German soldiers whom we then put in contact with uh, lawyers or uh, physicians uh, to help them get out of their vaccination mandate. What's the mood in the Polish army? How many per what's the percentage of those who say um, this is wrong and how many percent say this is right? What about the police? Well, well, she, you wouldn't be able to say, she wouldn't be able to say that. Sorry, I started in Polish now. So, when it comes to Polish, uh, the situation in Poland, then I can say uh, from my own observation that there is uh, very poor morale. Um, 
soldiers are tired, um, they're frustrated, what I can observe directly behind the scenes. And with, um, on the foot of the conversations that I've had and of what I know, there is there are more people uh, coming over to our side rather than going over to the other side. Uh, people who believe that uh, what's happening here is madness, is just uh, outrageous, is monstrous. Um, we help them uh, if they want to get out of this. We have lawyers working on behalf of our association. Anybody who joins us, we try to help them. Members of this association are not only soldiers, but also policemen and um, women and firefighters. Now, what is the mood among the um, soldiers, the army, um, the firefighters and the police? Is that similar to the population in, uh, as a whole, or is it different from the um, majority of population? I heard that 50% of the population in Poland, but also 50% of policemen say something's wrong here. Is that the same with the uh, um, firefighters and with the army? Ich finde, dass man so ein, ähm, eine, eine Meinung, dass es schwierig ist, so äh, 
I think it's uh, very difficult to uh, make a statement like that. 50% of the police, uh, well, that's an estimate that 50% of the police have been vaccinated, but that doesn't mean they're in favor or against. If you compare that now with the soldiers, the soldiers have an, a vaccination rate of 85% more or less, but that doesn't mean that 85% of uh, soldiers support what's happening right now. The uh, people in uniform, just like the population at large, don't uh, speak out publicly. So we don't know where we stand. The estimate is that about 80% of the population simply suffers everything and is not uh, taking an active role. I think that if you only take 10% of those who take action and cooperate, just like with us, that you organize it from the bottom up through constructive work by um, joining forces, then you can influence the 80% of inactive people, then the whole thing can easily uh, turn around. And I think that it's more important to work from the bottom up to connect at the grassroots than uh, wasting your time uh, on demonstrations, uh, wasting your energies there. Would it be an alternative, uh, an idea for Poland to establish a uh, union, just like we are planning to do it in Germany now, maybe a trade union for the police, but also a, a general union that also opposes these vaccination uh, things? Poland has some experience with trade unions, after all. Taka idea jest bardzo szczytna, ale ona wyjdzie naturalnie, jeżeli każdy na swoim podwórku 
zacznie to robić. I to e, polega na tym, że jeżeli taka organizacja się tworzy, to jeżeli przychodzi ktoś z zewnątrz, to on nieważne, czy jest wysoko postawionym oficerem, czy jest szeregowym, czy tak dalej, przychodzi do organizacji jako nowy i musi się wykazać. I dopiero jego działanie pokazuje, gdzie jest jego miejsce w organizacji i wtedy wyrastają naturalni liderzy. Natomiast jeżeli my będziemy, i liderzy, czy naturalne właśnie ruchy, natomiast jeżeli będziemy próbować coś na, odgórnie narzucić i spróbować pod tym sztandarem zjednoczyć ogromną liczbę ludzi, to według mnie E, takie coś nie ma szans i jest bardzo łatwe do rozmontowania przez e, agenturę i obce i po prostu wywiad. I think this is a very good movement, but I fear my opinion differs. If we start a union top down, then I fear that it is easily to be attacked <clears throat> like uh, with stasi methods that things are getting get easily get divided so i think it is rather important to work uh, bottom up if people are of the same opinion they can work better together rather than if people have to be convinced it's difficult to tell people we know better and we know the truth rather than if two meet at the bottom and are of the same opinion and uh, then start something like the association we are uh, running now others will join be, be they soldiers be they officers whatever <clears throat> because they observe and watch and see what's going on and that will make them join and i think that is a better approach well it i think it's two different things really because as a union it's you have certain privileges an established uh, union can call for strike or do legal consultations for its members and that's a different approach rather than in in this association which is marvelous to join up and there is many many of these there is caretakers for enlightenment students for enlightenment and so on uh, but it's not always the case that they sit in neuralgic nodes like uh, workplaces so i think it's two different things that could stand next to each other and if we can avoid the information the organization to be infiltrated by the legal construction or the people involved i think it's a very sensible approach of course if it's infiltrated and the goals are destroyed it's not worth anything that's true <coughs> Stride, gdzie studenci też się razem zgromadzili właśnie w takie stowarzyszenia, gdzie lekarze są w tych stowarzyszeniach. Uważam, że to może być bardzo dobre rozwiązanie, jeżeli pod, pod jakimś 
pod jakąś, jakąś matką, jakąś jednostką nadrzędną w tym przypadku, jakieś nazwijmy to związki zawodowe, można uzyskać jeszcze większą ochronę dla tych, dla tych ludzi, między innymi przed czymś takim jak rozwalaniem takich stowarzyszeń od środka. Tak, dokładnie. No to właśnie o tym mówimy. My jesteśmy właśnie takim stowarzyszeniem i w Polsce mnóstwo takich stowarzyszeń się zakłada i myślę, że z chęcią takie organizacje wejdą we współpracę, ale nie na zasadzie, że tak jak tutaj było powiedziane, ktoś stworzy, ktoś będzie stworzy stowarzyszenie matkę i będzie zarządzał z góry, co, co ma być robione, przez, przez jakie możemy wspólnie podejmować jakieś działania, oczywiście współpracę, natomiast nie może to być na takiej zasadzie, że te stowarzyszenia muszą być będą upodmiotowione i podpisane pod, pod, pod stowarzyszenie które, główne, które będzie nimi zarządzać. Takie jest nasze zdanie jako stowarzyszenia. Oczywiście współpraca jak najbardziej, skoordynowania działania jak najbardziej, natomiast przede wszystkim musimy się skupić na budowie wewnętrznej, i na tym, co nas łączy, bo cały czas jesteśmy dzieleni właśnie na nauczycieli. Musimy się skupić wokół idei, bardzo wartości i idei, która nas złączy. I bardzo dobrą taką wartością jest właśnie wolność, bo myślę, że każdy człowiek chce być wolny, ale też powinniśmy się przestać w końcu dzielić. Powinniśmy zrozumieć, że jesteśmy wszyscy ludźmi, bo teraz cały czas próbuje się nam wymówić podział. Antyszczepionkowcy, szczepionkowcy. Próbuje się zrobić podział na przykład muzułmanin, katolik i tak e, gruby, chudy, orientacja seksualna. To wszystko są rzeczy, które nas dzielą, natomiast musimy sobie zrozumieć, że wszyscy jesteśmy ludźmi, zobaczyć w sobie ludzi, traktować się jak ludzi i to jest idea, która może nas połączyć. Wolni ludzie i to jest e, takie, takie, ta, 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 taka, takie sformułowanie, wokół którego powinniśmy się łączyć e, i wtedy już nie musimy się dzielić na właśnie wojskowych, na razie to są, dlatego te ruchy są jeszcze rozdrobnione, bo one faktycznie, e, bo po prostu skupiamy ludzi, których mamy wokół siebie w środowisku i to jest bardzo dobre. Ale ja się zgadzam, że ostatecznie, ostatecznie trzeba będzie po prostu ruszyć pełną siłą jako wolni ludzie i to powinien być nasz właśnie ostateczny cel. Tak, to się zgadzam. Czyli jeszcze dla, dla, dla zrozumienia lepszego nie wydaje się to... I'm just asking a question, that's why I'm speaking Polish. We do not see it in that way that, for example, if we can call it, we'd start a union and have chairs elected, <coughs> but we'd rather see that we, in the different associations in Poland, work together. We have teachers, we have doctors, soldiers, policemen, and everybody else, we do see that our actions are coordinated. 
and for that we're going to select people but we don't want to have anything ab anybody above us who's responsible for everything so we see uh, in the coordination and we see that we have to join up and um, we are not split up uh, like we are now or divided like we are now muslims and christian sexual orientation different professions being divided but we say we are joined up we are one people we want freedom and we can't be let ourselves be divided and so bottom up we want to work together with the others in this approach yes we think that is exactly the right approach that's also the same idea behind our idea of a union the basic approach must be coming right from the bottom from the families from the municipalities and uh, we talk to everyone who's there starting with their own group uh, soldiers policemen firefighters and then they can associate with the other groups but the idea of addressing and enlightenment inside the own group is absolute super <clears throat> I think the most important thing is that we, as people, work in ourselves, with ourselves, and get um, perceived as a person. It's known that every person has four parts. Um, we are a soul, a body, and a mind, and a psyche. And if all of that is balanced, and we make sure that this is balanced, the person, if it is, if they are strong and fearless, they can move to the outside world. We need love, we need hugging, and only if we are 
in harmony with ourselves, we can turn towards the outside world. It's great to hear such kind of soldiers in Poland and that soldier, I, uh, I'm glad uh, to hear this. And I'm sure in Germany there are people who think like that. But we have to address them like Jakub and Agnieszka are doing. Great. It's very motivating. Thank you very much. We all have to think that we are parents as well and that we are humans. Yes, that's the crucial point. That's what they're trying to drive us out of. And I'm very pleased to see exactly, precisely soldiers, firefighters and policemen to have recognized this. That's very important. Remember that we are human, that we have a natural right to do this, and it doesn't matter if it's someone from Russia, Poland, Germany, or the US, everywhere in the world, we are humans, we want to be free, and it doesn't matter if somebody tells us we're all from God or from nature, we are free humans. And this is something that we have to be aware and stay together of. Perfect. That's just the case, really. Thank you. 
We want to thank the other two, Jakub and Agnieszka. It was great. And very surprising that, especially to hear this from soldiers and proclaiming the free human being. And that's really the basis for everything. That's really what this is all about. That is what we are to be taken away of. That's why we have to link up and uh, stand by each other. And that's what we're doing. So once again, thank you very much. Raina, do we still have time? They have, um, they wanted to share a letter, an appeal. We're happy. We're a bit under pressure, but we are fine to do that. So we, we can do that. Yes. We have this letter from the soldiers, which we would like to read out bit by bit, and um, Jacob wanted to share another last word with us. List został stworzony na potrzeby ogólnopolskiego marszu wolności w Poznaniu, na którym mogliśmy się po raz pierwszy raz zaprezentować. Nie byliśmy jeszcze wtedy. To było dokładnie 11 września. W tym roku? Tak, tego roku. Nie byliśmy jeszcze zawiązani, że tak powiem, byliśmy dopiero planowani, ale chcieliśmy dać społeczeństwu znać, że powstajemy. I w tamtym dniu mieliśmy okazję przedstawić się właśnie poprzez list. Chciałabym go teraz przeczytać. Mam okay. nadzieję, że, że wejdzie do serc wszystkich. Dobrze, This letter was written for a rally in Posen on the 11th of September of this year, and the soldiers wanted to show that they, well, they hadn't yet united in that association, but they wanted to show that they are against all of this, and they wanted to become visible and show their faces showing that they are in it and they wanted to touch the hearts of the people. Były to szczere łzy, pełne uznania i dumy. Dziękujemy. Dear countrymen and countrywomen, for the cause of my fatherland, I will spare neither life nor my blood in times of need. Each of us swore this oath with pride. Each of us remembers that day, the day of the oath, 
As we stood in formation, we could see the emotions in the eyes of our loved ones who were with us on that day. They were sincere tears, full of recognition and pride. We thank you. Zamknęli nam usta, byście myśleli, że milczymy. Podcięli nam skrzydła, byście myśleli, że się już nie wzbijemy. Podzielili nas, byśmy czuli się wszyscy samotni. Tak bardzo się pomylili. Zaczęliśmy się wzajemnie szukać. Uwierzyliśmy, że nadal potrafimy latać, aż czasem nabraliśmy odwagi, by mówić. Dear ones, today your eyes have taken on a different shine. They are full of fear, worry and sadness. We have let you down and we are sorry. They covered our mouths so that you would think that we were silent. They clipped our wings to make you think that we would never fly again. They separated us to make you feel alone. They were so wrong. We started to look at each other. We started to believe we can still fly. And with this in time, we gathered the courage to speak. Zredefiniują układ geopolityczny na nowo. Ze smutkiem obserwujemy, że nasza ojczyzna pogrąża się w chaosie i zmierza ku krawędzi otchłani bez dna. Po półtorej roku zawirowań, dezinformacji i działań kompletnie nielogicznych podejmowanych przez kolejnych decydentów tego kraju, sami nie do końca wierzymy, że daliśmy się postawić w obecnej sytuacji. Without doubt, we are living in, in unprecedented times. We have the impression that the events that are taking place before our eyes that will redefine the geopolitical system. It's sad to observe that our homeland is sinking into chaos and heading to the edge of a bottomless abyss. After one and a half years of gatekeeping, disinformation and completely illogical measures taken by the various decision-makers in this country, we ourselves cannot quite believe that we have allowed ourselves to be brought into the current situation. Ochydnej segregacji sanitarnej i przymusowym eksperymentom medycznym. Zagrożenie jest ogromne, ale nadzieja równie wielka. Dear Poles, we must face the truth. We are on the eve of the introduction of a totalitarian regime in our homeland. Abdominal sanitary segregation and forced medical experiments. The danger is great, but the hope is as well. Serce rośnie, gdy widzimy kolejno powstające stowarzyszenia, ludzi wolnych, myślących, zadających pytania i chcących dowiedzieć się prawdy. W końcu jednoczymy się ponad podziałami. Służby mundurowe też są z wami. 
We can see that the spirit has awakened in the nation. Perhaps this is the moment we have been waiting for so long. Our hearts swell when we see the unions of free-thinking people emerging to ask questions and to find out the truth. Finally, we are uniting across all differences. The uniformed are with you. Przyłącza się do was i mówi jasno, nie ma zgody służb mundurowych na wprowadzenie w Polsce ustroju totalitarnego. Nie zapomnieliśmy przysiąg, które składaliśmy i zamierzamy ich dotrzymać. Macie nasze wsparcie. Razem zakończymy to szaleństwo. Towarzyszenie bronimy munduru dla przyszłych pokoleń. There is no consent of the uniformed to the introduction of a totalitarian regime in Poland. We have not forgotten the oaths we have made, and we will keep them. You have our support. Together, we will put an end to this madness. We, the association, defend the uniforms for future generations. Jeszcze chciałem na koniec, tylko jeżeli będą y, oglądać nasz, nas przedstawiciele służb mundurowych, czy to z Polski, czy z innych krajów, e, chciałbym do nich powiedzieć takie słowa. Kochani koledzy i koleżanki, musicie, uświ musimy uświadomić sobie, że ostatecznie to nie od polityków, korporacji czy koncernów będzie zależało to, w jakim świecie obudzimy się po resecie. To my jesteśmy aparatem siłowym i to my ostatecznie zostaniemy zwróceni przeciw wolnym ludziom, aby dokonać dzieła globalistów. I to od nas zależy, czy będziemy mieli krew na rękach, czy staniemy po właściwej stronie. Pamiętajcie słowa swoich przysiąg i do czego zostaliście powołani. Przysięgaliśmy służyć, służyć ludziom, a nie politykom, koncernom farmaceutycznym, czy innym korporacjom lub bankom. Historia nas oceni. Jakub added, Dear colleagues, no matter where you are the world over, I would like to appeal to you. No matter what the politicians want us to do, the corporates, the pharmaceutical companies, we need to stand together we need to stand by our peoples. We do not want to have their blood on our hands. No matter where you are, we absolutely must connect. Remember, history will connect us and will judge us. Quite right so. Very impressive and very emotional, and I do think that uh, Jakob and Agnieszno um, will have an international audience, and I think it's going to do a change with the policemen, the soldiers, and everybody else wearing a uniform. We've had examples here of people who, quite frankly and openly said, we do not comply. American policemen, police officers, for example, a great closing. Uh, nothing to add. Thank you. 
wiemy o tym, jesteśmy pewni, że słuchają nas ludzie na całym świecie. Do tego już nic więcej dodać nie można. Wszystko już zostało tym tekstem również powiedziane. Dziękujemy bardzo. Dziękujemy. Vielen Dank. Ich wünsche euch ein schönes Wochenende. And I wish you a nice weekend. Well, thank you and the same to you. Goodbye. Okay. Now we have to see how to get on on the agenda. Our colleague Dr. Hingal is on the phone, on the line, and two other people, the owner of Fischerwirt, which is a restaurant in Schlidorf, and a caretaker in uh, an intensive care unit. And so the question is, we're if here, they we're are here. online, are you online? Fine, great. Uh, I just got a an inquiry whether we could uh, start with Dr. Thorsten Mann, but if we can hear him at far at three o'clock, we can interrupt. We are ready to go with you. It's a good match. Just Dr. Mann is somebody who did vaccinate vaccinate and saw it was a mistake. So if he can uh, have his speak at five at, at three o'clock, we'd start with you. Great to see you. Great also to see the people from Fisherwood. Hello, greetings. We have beautiful sunshine outside and snow. It's a beautiful day in Bavaria. But we are very moved by the young Polish and European citizens. And um, I would like to tie into this. The soldier said if we could embrace each other again. We're very far away from human touch. And I really think it's horrible to greet with the fist. That's the opposite we do. Um, I understand distancing. Um, and of course, we don't have that. Of course, uh, in uh, our legal office, we always had people uh, with the colds. And um, so it did help. And I would like to suggest a greeting, a distancing greeting that we could use. Put your hand to your heart, <clears throat> bow your head to dignify the other and a smile to the end, towards the end. Take off the mask first, heart to your, hand to your heart bow your head and smile. I think we have to start with these. We have to start with these simple relationships to deal with each other again, no matter what uh, people's opinions are. Yeah, this social distancing is complete madness that has to be broken up. I don't participate in any of this. I'm not interested. I'm convinced that we just supposed to be forced onto our knees here and nobody's going to do that with me. Okay, let's get going. <clears throat> well, we start with the um, uh, hostess here, um, um, somebody who's running a, a restaurant who stands for many people who have family businesses, who has uh, tried to do anything that was imposed on her but failed. And I've been um, representing um, people with restaurants for the last 25 uh, years. I 
admire these people who tried everything but had to fail with all these measures imposed on them. Okay, uh, warm welcome from Bavaria. And we thank you very much for the invitation that we were happy to accept them. Thank you very much for your precious work, which has been strengthening us over the past months. I'd like to take the opportunity to describe the situation of our family and our operation. And I hope that you, uh, I hope for your pardon that um, I am very nervous and I'm not so used to free speak and uh, I'd like to present my state here statement in written and read it out uh, to give you a uh, picture of the situation. Of course, interrupt me if you want to. My husband and I have been operating a restaurant since 1993 with 300 spaces and an outdoor area, uh, attending about 1,000 guests every day in summer times, and we have been doing and renovating the building over the past years with our staff. Many of our staff, often from the European, different European countries, support us in our wait. And we'd like to thank everyone at this point for their work. Uh, to start with, we have never um, been anti-corona. Uh, on the contrary, um, we are not anti-vaxxers. My husband and I have been vaccin get vaccinated uh, in the past year years on the consultation of our doctors. And in this crisis, we only noted that uh, there was a big differentiation between reality and what we were told. We saw Dr. Vodak's documentation very early, and that brought us to think what contribution we could make in the face of the hazard that we could see coming up for humanity here, and how to get to talk quickly to other people, although the measures did everything possible to separate it, us and make it sure that in this sensible first phase we could not share our ideas. So we took our advertisement spots which we had booked for short critical notes and quotes uh, to point out our situation. We made a contribution to Science Gets Up and put that on our website and still now since May 21 we put our own contributions and posts up from us and from others. We add this with a letter for a uh, rally that was read out on a rally last year and after starting you started your um, uh, committee, we put up a big sign pointing it out. We use the uh, bad, un the answering session as a platform for critical notes and answers. We supply lots of uh, uh, documentation, the so-called panic paper from the Ministry of Interior, the Weimar judge rulings, and we know about the big um, uh, uh, rallies in Weimar and my own arrest at the time after I was there, after we had been v watching massive police police violence, the uh, video went around the world, this was done to intimidate us, we held speeches at uh, local meetings here, although we have never done so this before. We did a quiz uh, early 2020 
um, with a 500 euro award, which a very wide awake elderly lady that knows the uh, committee, um, and she had been re recovering from Corona, and we talk, share a lot of ideas with critical guests of our guests. And there's also many people coming from abroad. Some of them are destructive and disturbing, but that only disturbs us for a little time because we quickly recover after that. So uh, what we had in um, friendship in a new group of, among our uh, friends gives us strength and helps us um, accept all of this. Greetings to you. Back to our work. In, uh, during the lockdown in 2020, uh, we tried to keep up our uh, operations with two teams that weren't allowed to meet each other. The um, uh, um, operation of the restaurant was uh, banned for many uh, uh, months, while our uh, staff uh, ate in the basement during a beautiful weather. Our guests were eating on the curb, sitting on the curb on the other side of the uh, uh, street, and we had to put up tables 50 meters away from our um, restaurant. And uh, when we did that, uh, this was banned by the police after we'd been reported because it was too close to a uh, playground. But on the day after um, the ban was uh, rejected, and um, so we uh, put tables up in our private rooms. During the first lockdown, we had five police checks and many more after the reopening. In the last year and a half, we had probably 10 times the police in our um, uh, restaurant, and sometimes with uh, two to three police cars and up to 10 uh, officers. We felt that these controls were um, disproportionate and uh, unjustified. We feel that we were criminalized, nearly terrorized. We had the feeling that they were trying to keep us in uh, a state of fear. And uh, they, uh, this was always visible for um, our staff, for our guests, and for our neighbors. And this does something to people's uh, psychology. So um, we uh, were uh, supposed at one stage uh, uh, banned from selling um, to our uh, guests on the um, on uh, passers to passers by, um, and um, we were doing uh, we were banned uh, to do that or um, by the police, and we had to um, complain. Um, uh, to the authorities before we could open this. Again, after we had been allowed to open the beer garden, we were um, banned from playing uh, live music. Our daughter, Laura, who who had allowed um, people to uh, have uh, contact with uh, two other people, um, was so shocked that she uh, didn't want to work anymore because she was uh, afraid of uh, being um, held responsible for any uh, 
behavior, illegal behavior by guests. And we're always uh, required to keep a, a, an eye on all the latest uh, regulations and implement them all um, so that we can't offer any um, um, room for attacks to the police anymore. And that's what my daughter, uh, the rule that she um, took on and she kept um, taps on what the changing regulations were. And she did that very reliably and because she was afraid of these controls. After reopening, after the first lockdown, we reduced the number of tables and uh, chairs inside and outside, uh, marking the floors with yellow lines in order to uh, ensure the uh, one-way flow of traffic that was required by the authorities. And uh, we were even installed an uh, May I Enter app so that uh, guests can digitally register. And we keep continuing, uh, continuing to do that. When the mask uh, mandate was introduced, we soon found the mental and physical uh, impact on our uh, guests. Uh, some of them uh, felt nauseous or dizzy. Uh, many were desperate and couldn't understand what was happening to them here. But initially, uh, they didn't dare take the mask off. Um, uh, they didn't dare take off the masks and to demand their rights to free breathing. It was unbearable to look at this for us. After uh, I had gotten a um, mask, um, a uh, um, liberation from the mask mandate um, on a health condition. Um, our staff members knew that this was necessary and we um, accepted those uh, submitted by our guests. And we also um, accepted any plausible argument by our guests um, pointing out uh, the mask um, uh, regulation, and we, we pointed out to them that they should uh, maintain a distance of 1.5 meters wherever possible, and um, thus would allow for a certain uh, for masks uh, not to be worn. We pointed this out um, in our um, lunch menus. Um, we also pointed it out on the outside of our premises. Um, um, pointing out that we um, have waiters who um, did not wear have to wear a mask because of a health condition, and um, guests who insisted that the waiters should be wear masks uh, had to make a reservation, and then we uh, they would only be served on by waiters with masks. So of course that could happen. Um, um, that um, a waiter, no waiter was available with a mask, but even those um, who, uh, even when that happened, the waiters would put on um, some cloth or some other facial covering in order to um, keep those customers happy. The vast majority of our guests had no problem with our approach. On the contrary, only a few were unhappy with the way we were handling the situation. and. They um, are uh, the cause of our uh, 
law uh, case um, represented by a lawyer, and we have to. We will hear about it later on. And luckily, we found him because he needed to represent us. What uh, should we have done with staff members who had? Um, presented a um, health cert allowing them not to wear a mask, fire them? That wouldn't have been possible um, uh, legally. And um, in 2020, we had a strong season and couldn't dispense with um, this uh, well-trained service staff. Um, against the background of so many uh, sources and pr uh, proof um, of the negative impact of wearing masks and the uh, negative impact of vaccinations, which is, in our view, a uh, an uh, illegal attack. We could not um, bring it over our conscience to um, enforcing this, including our uh, long uh, our customers of long years who are some of our friends um we couldn't uh, impose it on them nevertheless our warnings were um uh, rejected everybody um tended to say you have your opinion i have my opinion and uh, people wouldn't talk to us anymore as the uh proof is mounting uh on the dangers involved with the experimental vaccines um um, and as nobody seems to be uh, capable of being open to um, arguments, um, not being able to address the topic anymore was a big burden on us. But we know from numerous people who, uh, whom we could encourage um, daily, there are um, mails from people who uh, thank us and this gives us the strength to continue. Um, ever approached to find a solution, we believe that it's high time that everybody, really everybody who understands what's happening here, um, uh, using a report and a uh, global marketing agency, which was probably was also uh, responsible for the um, uh, breeding box um, lie. Um, um, now we ha uh, see what they're doing. The basis for this is the ASH experiment that shows us how this group manipulates us because as social uh, people, as social beings, we um, easily uh, toss our own convictions overboard. And that is what probably to the advantage of a group to uh, for us to uh, follow like lemmings. Uh, the moderator Quarks uh, in 2018 um, spoke about the ash experiments um, in this way. Um, and this tendency uh, of people to uh, to follow is being abused by those by, uh, orchestrating this crisis. Um, and um, that we should have um, um, stand up on a specific day that needs to be advertised by the alternative media. Uh, as has been said, we don't need them as. A relatively sh um, slow, uh, small percentage of about 10% is enough to draw everybody uh, along. Only 10% who can get an alternative movement uh, going. 10%, there's many more of us, but unfortunately only few dare uh, speak up in public. It is high time, we believe. Otherwise, it's again 
the silent majority who does the damage. Let's not allow this to happen. That's great. That shows really how, after what all we've heard here, is a representative image, and it shows that it is worth standing up, and in the end you get more than you have to give up for. Of course, you are lucky <clears throat> that uh, Colleague Hinger never gets off uh, uh, before things end. I know him from the time of our junk uh, real estate. That is an unpayable help that you have, but you seem to be strong enough uh, yourselves. I think it's very impressive, very, very um, great example. And I hope that many people, especially companies and entrepreneurs, take an example of what you do. I also think that 10%, maybe even less, it can be done because we are the ones who don't trot down the given paths, but we are the ones who move out of that, who think out of the box, who look behind the scenes, who ask the questions and want to know what's going on. Unfortunately, it's really true, as you have just reported, that it had all it's all been set up. We've heard this by different psychology professors and psychiatry professors. Uh, with psychotherapist ter therapist, uh, uh, nodes um, and this uh, agency nodes, I think it's their name, uh, started, came up with this. For those who don't know, in order to really make Iraq look bad, this agency it was an advertising agency who invented the lie that Iraqian soldiers in Kuwait uh, take children out of the breeders and throw them away. That a, a plain lie, but it created the atmosphere. Because these are the methods that are worked with. Um, there's no bit of truth, and uh, it is getting clearer and clearer. And as we've just heard from the Polish soldiers, that even those who are trained for war drop out. That's great. That's good. That's genius. And I think it's a great attitude that you show. And I'm good that I'm happy that we you get lots of positive response. And that shows that there is people in this society and not just digitized monsters like Schultz. Well, colleague Fulmich, I also think that we have an entrepreneur here, like many others who can't uh, speak out like this uh, because they have. Um, 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 economic uh, hardship. Um, that is not the case with me. Uh, in my case, it's the uh, mercy of early birth. I.e., I was born in 1948, and I absorbed the uh, fundamental law, i.e., the German Constitution, um, uh, during uh, my childhood and um, uh, school career, uh, university studies, and. Um, I uh, tell my colleagues um, quite openly, as a 35-year-old or a 50-year-old uh, lawyer, I wouldn't do what I'm doing. I can see my colleague Müller. We both advocate uh, a stop on uh, vaccination of children up to 70 years old. You have to be able to afford this. At the age of 73, I can, but at the age of 35 or 50, we have to find people like Ms. Wagner Adams, who stands up in front of the uh, people. And of course, I get daily calls from people who are 
desperate, be it employees who lose their jobs because they don't get a vaccination, or where uh, families uh, fight over whether the 15-year-old son should be vaccinated. Again and again, the Constitution comes into play here. I never needed to talk about this in 54 uh, years of 55 years of my uh, career. I had the hierarchy. We had the Constitution, the laws, regulations, then um, um, the authorities uh, made their rulings. Um, and I was uh, dealing with insolvency law. That was my uh, specialization. And all of a sudden, since Corona, the Constitution comes uh, into play. Now that's why I'm uh, uh, talking about um, uh, family law. I'm doing family law now uh, because the Constitution comes to the fore everywhere. Everybody's being uh, put under pressure um, in their jobs, uh, in the schools, the teachers. The teachers are between the ministries and uh, the parents and we too. Um, we live of the fact that we get our um, cases from the courts. Our uh, uh, law offices live of this and we um, stand up and we say we don't think that it's right that children up to the age of 17 be vaccinated. That is our fear that we will be um, uh, shown up for that. And Ms. Wagner Adams said it earlier. Uh, for people, for the entrepreneurs, it's difficult to find lawyers representing them. Um, also, criminal law um, uh, lawyers because they're being criminalized if they don't go along with all these measures. And I would like to tell my colleagues and the uh, physicians what uh, role uh, we have to play as lawyers. I only realized now, just like the public prosecutors, the uh, judges, we swore an oath to the uh, Constitution. Only now do I have to look up the um, professional code for lawyers that lists my um, tasks. Um, and I would like to point that out to our colleagues, even though we have been working as best we can in the, in the past. In Article 1 of our professional code, uh, Section 3, it says, be an independent consultant in all matters of the law. The lawyer has to protect uh, their clients against uh, loss of uh, rights. That's what I did for uh, 54 years. Um, uh, Mr. Hart vis Meyer, Schulze vis uh, Meyer, etc. That's uh, civil law. And now, for more than a year with the corona, I have to deal with the Constitution all of a sudden. And then I read in our professional code something on this as well, because it continues. It's not only to um, um, administer disputes, but also to protect against uh, misrulings by authorities and courts. Uh, our clients, uh, Ms. Adams-Wagner, the entire um, entrepreneurship is, I have to protect my clients against misjudgments by authorities and courts, and it gets worse, and against unconstitutional interference and 
um, power excesses uh, performed by the state. Let me repeat it, to protect them against unconstitutional interference and uh, overstepping of um, uh, power competences by the state. I don't claim to be doing everything right, particularly as a lawyer. You see a lot that you have the wrong view of things or do things incorrectly. But now, um, at the age of 73, it is my job to fight for this constitution and to dispense this duty. And I would ask all my colleagues, all lawyers, all physicians, to fulfill this duty. And it's less a question of the law. It is essentially something about showing the facts that will then justify the measures. And I would like to point to 11.2 in the Infection Protection Act, where Parliament said that the RKI is to uh, tell us explain what corona is all about and that uh, uh, takes me back please all legal experts judges uh, public prosecutors lawyer lawyers 11 uh, article 2 says we pass it all to rki they need to define what is a, a case of corona and i don't want to discuss any of the other things what's happening in the uh, catering business etc we need to Take a closer look. It's a question of RKI defines Corona. It's the clinical picture on the one hand, and the other thing is the laboratory picture, the PCR test. And take a look at this definition. Um, first issued on the 29th of December 2020, and then slightly uh, modified on the 23rd of uh, December 2020. And then, as a lawyer, as a legal expert, I don't uh, need to look at anything else. We just go back at the RKI. How do they define uh, the disease? First of all, clinical image. You have to read this clinical image of a COVID-19 uh, defined as of at least one of the th uh, following three criteria. Clinical uh, image, if the a doctor looks at me, three criteria, acute uh, respiratory uh, symptoms of any level. And uh, well, that includes any cold. But the RKI says COVID-19 as a clinical picture, acute respiratory uh, syndrome of any uh, severity. So any cold can take it. Uh, can you make a, a COVID? Uh, then uh, recent loss of a, a sense of smell and taste. Uh, my 23-year-old uh, daughter had it. She lost her sense of um, smell and taste, and I had to go to a quarantine of uh, uh, two weeks. Okay, I can understand that. And the third one, I don't understand anything anymore. Please, all uh, legal experts and physicians, look. One of the three following criteria is enough. And the third criterion is and is death uh, due to um, disease. So, in order to diagnose a specific disease, one criterion that's sufficient is death by illness. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, everybody in the uh, Federal Republic of Germany, I don't understand this anymore. After 50 years of legal practice, so, and according to this, everything is COVID, and um, it should be according uh, to that because it, this is not used because 
no physician looks at the COVID patients. It all goes via the second aspect, laboratory proof, antigen uh, proof. Um, I can't judge the, uh, the, the test. Um, then um, um, the tissue, whether it's live or dead, um, I can understand that. And then uh, comes the next nucleid um, acid uh, proof PCR, for instance. And that is everything. Everything goes via the PCR test. Now, WHO says, and some scientists at home, that ain't enough. That's what WHO has been saying for months. A PCR test is not enough to determine uh, a diagnosis of COVID-19. What do they say? Either you look at the clinical picture, that's uh, item one of this list, and uh, Dr. Hinterhuber says, okay, uh, Mr. Hinterl, you are sick, or else the uh, isolation and uh, you go back to the laboratory and then you determine whether it is really something that you can diagnose that you have COVID-19 as a legal expert. It's completely uh, something that doesn't make any sense. I'm really desperate. I'm only desperate that these two basically on the basis of this PCR test that only tells us half the truth as confirmed by scientists uh, that it's enough in Germany to uh, derive all the measures from this and by way of conclusion the uh, federal supreme court um, um, that is not uh, surprising to me even if you are shaken by this mr Fumi. but what is uh, the president of the supreme court mr albert uh, supposed to do who has been supporting the government he can't simply throw all of this out he can't do that but he only decided what was uh, uh, true in May of this year. And if I read this judgment, because it says um, limitations of contacts as a uh, measure um, to fight a pandemic have to um, be in line in every way with the constitutional uh, restraints. And that is something that we uh, verify this on a daily basis, uh, that's the only way forward. They would have thrown everything out if they had uh, ruled differently. Any uh, fines would have been, uh, uh, would have had to be uh, cancelled, and even the Bavarian uh, Administrative Court um, cancelled the first lockdown release. So that is okay. Every day, we have to apply the constitution again and again and i will keep doing that sorry uh, to speak so much but i needed to get this off my chest that was very very illustrating especially for us legal people i think it's very good that and i've read it in advance that uh, you are going to carry on with this you're going to file a complaint complaint for the constitutional law i thought that um, decision from end of November was devastating. Um, it didn't say anything apart from that we have pandemic and that's why we have to do what we have to do. So what um, should be qualified, this is really nothing happened. And uh, that's what I experienced in Berlin. Now the judge um, seems to be scaring off and didn't want to have the court hearings and want to do that in written. But this confirms me that they say, uh, it doesn't say much. Um, they're, they're 
referring to the Constitution, we only have to make sure that the facts are shown. That's all. That's right. It's the matter, subject matter, that plays a role here. That's something that we don't learn here in our university courses. Sometimes we do if we have a good trainer, but we always, in study, we do not learn to analyze the the matter of fact that's a problem that we have people say yes i've been, come to us and say that we have been they have been f f subject to fraud well, we say that's not enough but if you start with that complaint you're going to uh, complain against the non-existent hearing because that hasn't been done the court has just followed followed the command of mr wheeler follow the instructions and quite the contrary is true we are legal people we have to ask questions that's a crucial the crucial issue i'll just give you some experience from my 55 years of practice alpha beta gamma delta you still don't know about this for decades um, the uh, flu epidemics came uh, keep coming back we've had that in the past we all know the images from uh, coffins and and all those uh, helicopters that don't know where to take all the uh, um, patients. But during all those flu epidemics that I uh, I keep asking my doctors, should I get uh, vaccinated? And they say, well, yes, but let me point out one thing. We only get the viruses of the previous uh, years and the variations the mutations of the last year we don't have a vaccine against that yet we call that mutation now for decades i heard that from my gp that the viruses keep changing and the most recent change is never covered and that uh, i am not afraid of the mutations at all at all that's what all experts tell us um, viruses mutate very normal I don't know. I don't know which variant it was, um, which was more contagious, but at the same time much less harmful than the other ones. Exactly. Unfortunately, the official places don't tell us that. I'm a simple farmer's son uh, with a poor background. I went to high school. I was interested in physics and chemistry, etc. To this day, I am, and what's uh, completely uh, eludes me is that in uh, with the complexity in our uh, life we've had billions of viruses around us that as a scientist you can have the idea and, as it was said yes. as is being claimed how you can have the notion that with a vaccination you can remove these viruses this is arrogance uh, of the highest degree, I believe. I think we have to live with the viruses. The most important thing is that we live healthily. Prevention is completely ignored in our health system. Ms. Wagner-Adams, I think it's great what um, that you are a rock in the sea. Uh, I don't know what the situation is now in your restaurant, but I think it's so important that people recognize what you as a single person has as a have as a power uh, like with the groups that we know that but the other side is true as well every single person that gets up and says 
I'm out. I don't comply. It's very important. And uh, you are still alive, although times may have been difficult. It's not if I turn around and say, I don't want to do this, that uh, they will kill you. And there is new uh, constellations that occur, maybe new jobs, new connections emerge and good things can come out. And I think it's important that you see that the people see that the power of a single human being is great. And the system has tried to work us into not recognizing this and forgetting this and thinking that if they are doing something that they are a single single ant that is simply squashed and that's not true with the energy of a single person everything can tip over and everybody has to see this and act ideally in the same way and that will put this all over in a lightning Ms. Wagner-Adams, uh, Ms. Adams, we'll get back to you soon enough if you agree, because Mr. Well, Dr. Mann asks that maybe he um, can uh, be anticipated, because otherwise he won't be able to stay around. So we'll get back to you later on if it's okay. Okay, then uh, get back to you later. Dr. Mann, now you are a um, specialist for... Um, um, internal medicine and uh, palliative medicine. You developed a uh, special pain therapy. You're also an emergency doctor. Uh, Dr. Mann, what happened? Um, and for what reasons did you change your opinion? Well, uh, first of all, uh, good afternoon. I'd like to put two things right. I have not developed a special pain therapy. I'm pain therapist. I'm a palliative medicine and, and a general practitioner in Leipzig and I have my practice here with many patients, elderly patients as well and in due course of the time when it started with the vaccinations many many patients asked me um, when I can do give the vaccinations and there was a lot of pressure on the, from the patients that they wanted to have the vaccination and I gave in to that wish and I do a vaccination hour in order to vaccinate patients against Corona. I did this for a while and then I more and more found out in my information talks that uh, took longer. This is nothing to be done in five minutes. This is a new type of vaccine. <clears throat> there are a lot of discussion on this, whether it helps or not, and how, what rates are there, what efficacy is there, um, what adverse effects it may have. So in the end, we can only say we don't know anything. We don't know anything that we can state for sure. And this is what we have to make clear to the patient so that they can get to a decision. And in some of these talks, usually I start um, uh, by introducing it, uh, saying you want to get the vaccination. Okay, let's talk about it. And then during the course of the time, I noticed that people lay back and said, well, wanting? I don't really want to, but I have to. My employer wants that. My family wants it. And then I felt that there was a massive pressure on the people. And I 
I was unclear for a while on how to uh, handle this. Some of the patients told me after talking to them, um, they said that was very illustrating. And they said, I don't want to have the vaccination now. And that's great. That's what I talk to the people for, that they can ask their questions and that in the end they can come to their free decision to say, I want this or I don't. Perfectly right. If someone tells, says, I am afraid of Corona and I think the vaccination is going to help me, fine. Should they get it? And if someone ends up saying, I'm not afraid of Corona, I um don't feel well with the vaccination then i'm not going to vaccinate them and um, for that reason in my practitioner i uh, stopped offering it i discussed this with colleagues around me they said okay if you don't vaccinate them send them over to us we'll do it and i published that on my homepage, on the internet because i do inform my patients about these things and i found this reasoning i gave this reasoning because i see that there is a considerable pressure on the patients and this decision to take the vaccination or not to take it is not a free decision anymore this decision is made under pressure from the employers from the family there's loads of areas where the pressure is come um, created and the question is then if the decision is free is it free and of course every medical um, treatment any blood taking any vaccination is a harm to the body it um, violates the physical integrity uh, we as doctors are not allowed to do this we are only allowed to do this if the patient explicitly agrees telling the doctor yes you can cut up my my uh, tummy and um, take out the abdomen and the only exception from these are emergency cases where the patient is unable to speak and they are in risk of life and with the vaccination this is not the case in emergency cases i'm not allowed to vaccinate at all so the question i ask if the patient is actually capable to come to a free decision to a decision without uh, with knowing the consequences and when i heard uh, listened to my inner voice uh, i came to the conclusion this is not true it's done in the media it's done with the employers and i've heard this from many many people telling me they got the shot because they wanted to travel they didn't do it because they wanted the shot and so that's why i decided not to do it anymore very deliberately very consciously and i published this on my website because i wanted to explain to the patients why i stopped it not because i'm too lazy to do it it's more about this decision of a free consciousness and so i had that on my webpage for one and a half two months and suddenly i got a lot of feedback emails calls somebody had shared the statement in the social media and it uh, went viral as we say 
don't know if that's the right wording for it in this context, but I was uh, thrown over with requests from many, many people who suddenly wrote mails uh, congratulating to my courage. And I just wondered what they, what do they mean with courage? It's a fact uh, that I have uh, published and that's not real courage uh, in my eyes. That's the legal situation, simply. Okay, well, that's what I thought, but uh, it didn't take long. And then I got a call from the University of Leipzig and from the Doctors' Association in Sachsen, uh, where the university asked me to immediately take that information off my website and uh, saying that I have an academical teaching in the university because what I'm saying doesn't uh, comply with what the university says and they could be associated with that and that my argumentation is quite clear that it says that I decided this, it's not a decision of the university of any kind or that is in consensus with the university. It is clearly st stated this is my personal decision and I do have the right to uh, express my opinion in a free way. And that ended the call and I, it was pointed out that I have to remove that indication immediately and I said no I'm not going to do it you should do that in written at least so that uh, two days after that I got a fax and I got a termination of my teachings uh, jobs <clears throat> from the university so I feel sorry for the students I was happy to work together with them and I had the impression that they like to come here but the reasoning was a bit strange because uh, evidently I was talking against evidence-based me medicine. Nothing about that is said in my uh, statement. I didn't talk about talk about efficacy. I talked pro didn't talk about pro or contra the um, drug. I just talked about the legal situation and um, I wanted to, I needed to inform my patients that is dear to me, that's important to me. And that brought a lot of requests in, ending up in your requirement to speak here. Basically, all you did was what every physician should have done. And that is probably why you were surprised uh, when people told, uh, congratulated you on your courage, but you also showed humanity. And that is something that the other side, and that obviously includes the University of Leipzig, can't handle. They completely lost their humanity and professional ethics is um, uh, anathema to them. They don't even know what we're talking about. Um, but it's important that this sort of thing be published as well internationally, because you're not an isolated case. You always hope that it be but they are not isolated cases. This concerted action, as Ms. Wagner-Adams said earlier, to use an agency, a PR agency, 
show the psychological terror regime uh, is transported with the PR agency and through the media, then this concerted action means that people who um, stray from the path are beaten back into submission. And that means that all of us, you and I, and uh, we at the committee and Ms. Um, Wagner Adams and the Polish soldiers show that's not what we stand for, what we live for. We are people, we're not mutants or monsters like the people on the other side. You're still where you are, you still have your um, practice going, and you probably have still more support than um, um, counteraction, um, and um, you don't need to talk to um, the mainstream media. We keep getting inquiries from TV, and we don't I... talk to them anymore. I always fight back to uh, Orkans Razor. This is mainstream media. This is lying press. I do see that in a differentiated way. I always try to look at the person who is in front of me as a person and see who is this? What does this person want? What's their motivation to talk to me? And that I did that by. Uh, giving an interview to Spiegel TV, very interesting. I think the journalist was quite interested. Unfortunately, it wasn't broadcast because um, the top level in Hamburg cancelled it. Um, I don't think it's good for our society if we just say this is the only truth. I don't know what's the truth, and I don't know for sure whether the vaccination is good only or bad only it's going to be both and it's quite sure that probably in the vaccination there are things that to a certain degree there is a protective effect surely not and that's my experience to the extent that is propagated with over 90 percent protection rates I don't really believe where these figures come from. If three quarters of the of the society are vaccinated, and uh, we are now with incidence values four to five times higher than a year ago, where nobody was vaccinated, that doesn't make mathematical sense to me. And I can report from my work that a couple of days ago I looked it up. What's the ratio of the people that I had here in the last two months since early October that were positive for Corona tested. And here now it's about 80 to 20. 80% of the positive tested patients are vaccinated one, two, even three times. And I can't see any uh, correlation here, whether it's one, two, four, or six months after. And 20% of the patients that do have a positive corona test are not vaccinated and still i have to say in my view the picture by that media appearance is inclined because i have many people here now who are new to my practice um, they uh, are nearly busting down the doors 
because they have found me on the internet and the media and said, okay, I have a problem. I can't go see my doctor anymore because I'm not vaccinated. I'm not allowed in. I went there and they did uh, the test and I was positive. And now I have a problem, but I'm not allowed to go in because I have Corona. Corona is dangerous. And if there is something, I have to go to hospital. And these patients come and seek help with me so that I sit here at 10 o'clock at night still and say, okay, if you need help, I'm there, of course. Of course, um, I have my limits. My day only has 24 hours as well, but it is devastating to see what's going on where I sit here and sometimes um, I have tears in my eyes when I hear how people that need help are treated in other places. And that is what I think is so disgusting about this policy or campaign or whatever you want to call that, what's going on in my land, in, in this country. This is the uh, what we hear. We only hear vaccine, 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 and think with that we can get our hands on a pandemic. Surely vaccination can be one module. How much or what share it can contribute to address that infection rate is something that we will maybe be able to find out in 10 years' time. Uh, it's very, um, it, it can't be talked about this at this moment. Well, but of course we can see already now, uh, even uh, when we talk uh, to the scientists that we've been interviewing, we really have to assume that the vaccination can only be a very marginal comp component if possible and creates a lot of other problems. So it uh, probably is unhelpful uh, or rather damaging. But I find it frightening to see that um, it's even people who are vaccinated who are being rejected elsewhere because they contracted corona or were uh, tested positively, that they, even though they uh, went along and they did everything and they believed and they wanted to protect others by uh, getting the vaccination or they bowed to the um, pressure and now they uh, are at fault all of a sudden and then they're uh, shown off the field uh, because they're not even uh, being offered help. What's that now? It shouldn't be uh, differently with unvaccinated people, but it's even uh, tougher if people are driven to this and then uh, now you have a problem and you don't even need to come uh, to present here, uh, turning to us for help. There's this brutality and inhumanity among the physicians where, well, of course, that's failure to uh, provide uh, assistance, etc. And uh, physicians are, of course, of course called uh, on uh, for help, the Hippocratic Oath, etc. So a physician should be available for help, and it shouldn't be made harder on people to get help. That's really madness. We had some uh, report that somebody sent us, um, were familiar with, where somebody uh, presented to a physician um, uh, to a hospital with a child who hadn't been vaccinated. Um, so they were uh, not treated and then they were locked in a room that they couldn't open from the inside and where they had to wait until the physician saw them. So they're really bullied there. So what's happening there? That's madness. 
all humanity has been stripped of people, then uh, even though it was uh, explained by uh, Professor Desmet and others, uh, it's really um, enormous to see what this has developed into. Well, I don't want to say all doctors are equal. There are, of course, colleagues who have all their heart and their care and work until night to treat their patients. So it's very difficult to say it's the, the doctors. No, 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 that's not, that's not what I mean. But there are physicians who, it's surprising that there's doctors like that. Yes, and of course, doctors are humans as well. And we live in times where, and that's my, my personal experience, I'll stay with myself, I don't want to generalize this, with where fear is used for politics. We switch the radio on, we switch the TV on, and the internet, wherever we see as death rates on the screens and so many infections and bad things. And of course, that triggers fear in many people. Fear is there. But I don't think fear is a good advisor. It is something that uh, blinds our senses and uh, stops us from clear thinking. In fearful situations, we don't think rational. Rationally, we just um, think in flight or free. We have no other solutions. And I think there are some doctors who are afraid as well because they could catch it. Maybe I, I don't want to downplay this here. And uh, I think it's sad and saddening to see the big context and this provoked fear that we have. And I tell that my I tell that to my patient. I say I tell them that I take Corona serious. Lee, it is a disease that can have severe um, consequences and even lead to death. But I'm not afraid of this disease. I've been working for one and a half, nearly two years with people who have Corona. I mean, people who really got sick, not the many people who are, are positively tested. So I do try to differentiate here. Not everybody who's got a positive test is sick of corona. But that is exactly the problem in our society, that corona is immediately stamped with fear. And this person is a hazard now because they have a positive test. And so then these patients can't be treated anymore. I have come across this many times. Patients are tested somewhere, not always with their doctors. Sometimes they go to the test centers and get their tests and are sent home. And then the authorities give them a certificate that they have to go to quarantine. Until that point in the test center, they have been taken a sample. No patient has looked at, no lung has been listened to, no clinical picture has been looked at. And then the patients stay at home for two weeks. Maybe the health authorities or the police knock at the door and check if they are at home. And they have to show the uh, ID card or wink way through the window. And they should not leave the house not go to the doctors because it is all so, so, so dangerous. And from the beginning on, I was against this. I said, this doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to 
uh, lock people at home if they are sick and say we don't care for them. We know every disease, we have to treat it as early as possible in order to treat it well and not wait until complications have come up. And this is why I've tried right from the beginning to treat every patient who came here, patients who come with symptoms that I do take a sample, are clinically examined. Nobody leaves my room here without uh, listening to the lung, without listening whether it's all okay. And all the patients that get a positive test, I'd like to see them again after seven days. Either they are fit enough to come here or I have to visit them at home. And then I do hear that there are some changes in the lungs that point out that the bronchitis is developing, that pneumonia is developing or something. The patients do not notice this because they are in their flat, they are not allowed to go out. And uh, so they have a walking distance from the bed to the armchair, the kitchen and the bathroom. And that, in that case, you won't notice that your lung is not fit. If you walk, um, if you walk up three floors, uh, you are completely tired because they're not allowed to. And I'd like to pick up these patients from this big pool of people with positive tests. And I'll tell them, you don't have to do anything. It's just a positive test. You'll be fine. And find out those where they need treatment. And I have no treatment against Corona. I have no remedy. I have no wonder pill. But in medicine, we have means that uh, can treat bronchitis. We can give them antibiotics in a pneumonia that's arising. We can um, use blood pressuring, bl uh, blood, low blood pressure drugs. And of course, we have got to find the point in time where the patient is so bad that I have to hospitalize him or her. I had the great fortune in these one and a half years to not have had a single patient that I had to hospitalize and no one died. And unfortunately, I saw that when I was called out as an emergency doctor, I came to patients um, breathless in their armchair telling me that they had a positive test three weeks ago. And the question what happened, what treatment they got, what the medical, what medicine they got, um, how often was the doctor there to see you? They said, well, the health authorities were here two times and checked if I'm at home. And for me, that is away from any medical treatment. If we wait for the patient to be bad, that I have to be called as an emergency doctor and the people are really bad. I had to send them to ICU, uh, intensive care units. Uh, of course, this is a tricky thing, but we do have means to make sure that our intensive care beds are not full, that not so many people die. We have to treat them early and not lock people away. And we don't just have to play that card of the vaccination, vaccination, vaccination all the time. We have to tell them, speak out. If you have problems, go see your doctor and get a treatment. Uh, one of these uh, incredible campaigns was launched last year when it was uh, when people were told not to go and see the doctor when they are sick. They should get their 
uh, sickness leaves by post. I just shook my head and said, what's going on? If I, as a doctor, uh, certify someone as sick, I have to look at them. I have to listen to their lung. And either the university uh, can tell me that I uh, didn't um, watch my courses, but I didn't learn how to do an exam through the telephone or by Zoom. Um, the university may be able to um, claim this, but I've talked to them before and they couldn't explain how to do that to me either. So, yes, um, I do not understand uh, for some of the patients that call me, please send me um, a, um, a, a pass that I can't go to work, the federal minister says. So um, I said, no, I want to see you. If the ministry says uh, they can uh, issue a sick leave, uh, they can send it to you. If you're sick and you can't come, I'll come to see you and then we'll see. So there's lots of wrong incentives given here, also towards the doctors, uh, telling them not to treat the patients. The patients are highly risky and this leads to these situations that patients are turned down and not treated. I can't understand this. I just, uh, I could climb the walls and scream out loud if I look at this and say this has nothing to do with uh, professionalism in medicine. And as I have been through these kinds of things, I said, okay, even if people fight me, I'm not going to shut up. I'm going to stand up to what I said, and I still do so. And this vaccination in my practice is not available as long as that vaccination is propagated with that pressure. If it becomes really voluntary at some point in time, just like any other thing, tetanus, uh, measles, anything else, I'm going to rethink uh, that decision because then the patient can decide freely. But until then, I would take other treatments. And there are many other treatments. We just have to go them and not just simply resource on vaccination, 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 because all other ideas, all other proposals, how to handle this type of situation are ignored. We are in a country with 82 million people, and I think we are a country with many, many very, very smart people, with many people that have good ideas, who are ready to work on a problem solution and participate. And I cannot understand why we do not make use of this concentrated expertise, be it professors, be it doctors, be it experts, whatever, even unemployed people, everybody can bring in their expertise. Why on earth do we not get this bundled and try to go down different ways and not just blindly follow what a few people who are authorized to say so do what they say, which is vaccination only. And if anybody says something else, they are just pushed aside as extremists and so on. That is what makes me very sad and furious at this point. And I still try to 
see the human in every patient. I don't care who comes here, if they are vaccinated, tattooed, yellow, brown, black, whatever, pierced or whatever they may have done to their bodies. It's a person that brings in their story and that is sometimes as gruesome. Uh, I've had many people in the last couple of days who came here for the first time uh, who heard about me in the media and sat here um, waiting hours after waiting hours to get their turn who were here with tears in their eyes telling their stories where I just had shivers running down my spine and I really broke into tears at times when I heard I heard nurses that told me I cannot work in the ward. I'm mobbed away. My um, doctor goes around and tells, uh, says all the unvaccinated should just uh, die away. And I can only say I do not understand this world any longer. I do not understand how we as humans can think and talk about other humans in that way. For me, that is not understandable. Stay, stay fast, <laughs> stand fast and keep doing your thing. Help, try to help people as you can. That will be decisive, as Mr. Um, uh, Wagner Adams and uh, Dr. Uh, Engel, um, if you ask the question, uh, how could we get so far, then you're close to the answer. What we got is not by accident, it's not uh, coincidental. That is the gruesome truth, but we will see that um, by the by. Dr. Van, thank you very much for being with us and telling us uh, what happened in your practice. And thank you very much, above all, for not yielding to the pressure and um, that you should still treat people uh, who turn to you. That's what your job I'll, is as a doctor. I'll surely carry on doing that. And I'd like to thank the many, many people who support me and what I do. I, I can only thank my staff who are along with me. I've got loads of emails from doctor colleagues saying we are not as loud as you, but we don't agree. But it's not all the doctors. It's not all the doctors who do not treat patients. There is a broad consensus, and I think it's important that this is carried out to the public. Everybody uh, has the impression if they make such a bad experience, they're alone and nobody is there for them, but that's not true. There is many people, and I will surely carry on and uh, make this public. I thank you very much for giving the opportunity to me, and uh, I wish you all the best. Well, thank you so much, uh, Mr. Mann, and have a, a nice you. weekend. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, then we go back to uh, Ms. Laura Adams, who was interrupted earlier before she had a chance to speak her mind. Ms. Laura Adams, are you still with us? Yes, we're still here. Perfect. <laughs> I think you're the daughter. That's right. And actually, you used to be a nurse on a uh, an intensive care unit. Yes, I'm a nurse. I've been working for long years on an IC, IC unit uh, until not long ago. Um, and, but I didn't want to focus on that. I'm here in my functions as a support to the management and to support my parents in their business. 
So what your mother said, that you basically developed the hygiene concept, performed training, that is what uh, is at the heart of your activities now. And you probably didn't understand the world either anymore when all this disorientation and destabilization came in ever faster cycles. Uh, me, as a lawyer, should know all the rules. I'm not interested anymore because I know that these rules really only uh, are designed to disorient and destabilize us. If you need to know the details for a, a court case, uh, you read through it, but you know that next week the uh, rules change until we say enough is enough as long as they, uh, until they go off, the, come off this. That's quite right. That's our impression as well, that this seems to be following an agenda, trying to get us away from thinking whether that does make sense or in some way evidence-based what has been decreed. That was a great confusing game and was our idea and also uh, to see our guests as human beings, as people, treating all of them respect without having to um, leave anybody out and without we didn't want to uh, that somebody has to get their vaccination to be able to have dinner with us so we wanted to try to read the regulations as clearly and not unfiltered take over the um, media interpretation but to see if there's any gaps any loopholes like uh, the mask wearing which is possible saying okay it's in every um, regulation, if there is an exception from the rule, that is applicable law. And that was the idea. So we said, okay, everybody who can say that they can't wear the mask, they can come, they're welcome. And we can use our rule of house, of course, if somebody doesn't want to fo follow that, but we didn't want to. So we've tried to not um, let anybody out and be available for everyone and of course um, we had over proportionally many people with um, with uh, uh, if they have to wear masks everywhere else and not with us of course we had more people without masks and uh, so now we have more uh, majority of guests who think the same way as we do. Um, that's nice, but still everybody is welcome. And still we have closed the um, inner area, the indoor section because of two, three G. And then we uh, can't go. We only went uh, served outside, tried to make it as comfortable for everyone and, and then nobody can go in either everybody can go in and nobody or nobody can go in that's the situation today let's see what the situation tomorrow is like okay well <clears throat> tony roman is a bit tougher than you are he is really uh, mad by now a really uh, aggravated, who in Huntington Beach, um, um, a part of Los Angeles, uh, who runs a restaurant, he doesn't allow anyone uh, with a mask entering anymore. Uh, he says, that's unconstitutional, it violates my uh, uh, rights of freedom, 
and the American rights of freedom, that that's the beginning of the Constitution of America, uh, America, that everybody has the uh, right of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And so he says, hey, don't go along with this. And I don't want anyone um, sending that signal in my restaurant. And I think he told me, Arash, uh, that he had two staff members, their mothers came over with masks, and he said, sorry, uh, no can do here. Um, but I'm really glad that you don't discriminate against anyone. The people who are afraid of whatever still take them seriously. Um, even though you uh, believe it's all nonsense, I think that makes sense. That's the best sense you can make of it. <coughs> this was a matter to our heart. We can understand if somebody follows the mainstream media, they are in fear. Elderly guests for most mostly they have no access to alternative media they have nothing else than the traditional media so it's not up to me to judge their fear everybody can have the fear they want and of course they can get their shots or protect themselves in whatever way they think is suitable absolutely but i do expect the same respect for our position and our attitude well, that's all, really. And um, maybe referring to that uh, pursuit of happiness, which you've just quoted from the American Constitution, there is a definition of health by WHO explicitly saying health is not just not being not sick, but it is a full well-being in body, mind, and soul. And if we take that as a measure for the last uh, one and a half years. If that had been the, the fundamental measure, nothing would have happened. Yeah, we have to make sure that this uh, takes center stage again, that all this hysteria, which is becoming uh, ever more obviously uh, an artificial hysteria, um, that this hysteria is understood by more and more people, that people see through it. And that is unfortunately, um, that's exactly what's happening. Um, the uh, terror regime is being ratched up because there's nothing um, left um, uh, to uh, those who are uh, fear-mongering. Um, money is running out. Um, we don't have money anymore because um, inflation is increasing. And uh, people who... Um, thought they uh, were going along and then they would be um, granted a, um, a place at the table. They notice that the, they are being thrown, the, thrown through the wolves, so they're not going along anymore. So thank you very much for uh, supporting the committee, for propagating it as well. That's really ingenious uh, because we get uh, feedback. Hey, we saw a, a banner there with um, uh, the fish of it. And Mr. Hingal, thank you very much for supporting people in this uh, enterprise, because it is an enterprise, for not uh, stepping aside. Well, it is my greetings. Uh, remember my greeting. Hand to the heart, a little bow and a smile. That's what we'll do. Yes. All right. Okay. Thank you very much. Well, we thank, thank you and enjoy your weekend. Thank you very much. Okay, if we are lucky, Andreas from Bülow is still on the line. 
Andreas from Bilo could have joined us. He's a lawyer, former parliamentarian, state secretary for the Ministry of, in a, of Defense, author of a number of books in the name of the state CIA and the criminal actions of the CIA, the German catastrophes in 1914 until 1918 and 1933 until 1945 in the big game of the powers. And we are seeing that the historical background emerging is crucial for understanding what we are seeing now. Mr. Bulu, are you with us? Maybe it didn't work. Does the producers know, or did he have an issue with the internet? Well, we'll listen to him next time. Did you get anywhere with your research on the basis for the contracts that the EU closed on behalf of the member states? Well, I can talk a little about that. These agreements were leaked in um, the spring, the agreements with Pfizer and Moderna, that is. They had 100 pages each, roundabout, and, uh, well, one of them is much longer, Pfizer is much longer, it has about 130 pages, and the other one a bit shorter. So they're not identical. And they're uh, under Belgian law, so it's a, um, a procurement agreement under civil law. And there was an expert opinion by a Belgian law office, Veldmir de Band, who took a look at these agreements and came to the conclusion that the seller or the supplier had uh, such uh, few obligations that you have to conclude really that they uh, always retain uh, the claim to uh, payment but never um, has an ob uh, entered into an obligation to have to provide an eff um, efficient or effective product and um, um, they're exempt from any liability and they concluded that under Belgian law this is null and void. Um, um, I won't go into the, uh, this detail now. Uh, I was looking into the question of, wait a minute, um, so the EU Commission made agreements with two um, suppliers but binding the member states. Normally um, that would be um, an agreement at the expense of third parties. Um, uh, so to preclude that, um, this only um, is possible if there is a mechanism um, allowing the member states to be um, uh, obl obligated here. And there are only two possibilities. On the one hand, uh, with full powers, um, that's uh, unilateral or bilaterally, then um, by commission. And indeed, these agreements refer in Appendix 2, I think it's uh, where it is, um, to 
a so-called commission having been made between the member states and the EU Commission. It is attached to this uh, leaked agreement. So this is the uh, agreement that ends after 35, 40 pages, uh, signed then by the EU uh, Health Commissioner and then, uh, on the other hand, by the representative of Moderna or Pfizer. And then um, the appendices follow. And then I would expect the agreement where the EU Commission, on behalf of the member states, assumes uh, substantial obligations that, uh, in order to um, make the whole thing watertight uh, for the um, basic uh, commission to be attached. But in the uh, leaked agreement, it's only a template without any um, signatures, just says XXX between the EU Commission and uh, such and such a member state and without any signatures. Now, you might not be able to draw the conclusion uh, that this uh, commission has never been placed. This mandate has never been uh, placed. It might be available elsewhere, but on uh, the foot of my own experience, because I used to be a lawyer in the past, and I did a lot of transactions over the years. When I make such an agreement uh, for such a volume, then there are um, lawyers involved on both sides, usually highbrow um, lawyers uh, of big law offices and anything power of attorney and whatever is important in order to um, establish uh, this agreement is attached and um, at least signaled. Uh, so that's not the case and that is a bit un uh, strange. So. Um, we might look into whether they're available elsewhere. So we can, can give them the benefit of that doubt anyway. So let's take a look at the agreement proper. What does it say? And it really becomes interesting at this point because this um, uh, order, uh, this agreement, um, it was published a few months earlier when the EU Commission decided, and I'll get back to that later, when they decided to act on behalf of the member states um, in procuring um, the vaccines, uh, there was a, um, a template, um, a sample agreement, which was attacked, attached to uh, uh, the actual agreement. Um, we'll be um, working on this basis, and the member states will um, place that mandate. Um, but as I said, we don't have the signatures for that. But um, I'll get back. Um, I'll, I'll speak about the contents of uh, the agreement. Um, I won't go into much detail here because we could speak about the formalities of, of um, interpretation, for instance, the fact that, well, in the agreement, there are so-called annexes and there are attachments. The annexes are all templates 
not yet ready for decision at the time. We're in the course of uh, the uh, life of the um, agreement. Uh, you would have to make uh, adjustments. So the annexes were preliminary documents. And with the attachments, that is not the case. But this is an attachment, even though it's a, a blank document. So you kind of wonder what's happening here. That doesn't uh, wash. But let's leave these uh, formalistic things aside. In terms of contents, this order says, on the basis of the present uh, agreement, the uh, Commission mandates advance uh, purchase agreements with vaccine man uh, manufacturers on behalf of the member states, etc., etc. And then it says in Article 5, once concluded, the terms of the APA, APA stands for Advanced Purchase Agreement, shall be legally binding on the participating member states, except for those who have exercised their right to opt out. So far, so good. What's striking is, and I, uh, I have this uh, agreement uh, with 100 pages, very detailed liability, um, uh, um, get warranty exclusions, etc. Then I would expect such a power of attorney would uh, include some limitations, budgetary um, timeline, uh, etc. None of that. It's really carte blanche. So the power of attorney is extremely far-reaching. <clears throat> Many uh, undecided uh, legal terms, no financial parameters, no uh, no ceiling. No budgets, nothing. So that's a bit strange. And then uh, we come to the crucial um, clause in Article 6. Um, so in this agreement, which is the basis for the uh, obligation of the member states, uh, Article says, responsibility and liability says the following. The present agreement regulates only the division of potential liability and indemnification between the Commission and the participating member states. It does not regulate the extent to or the conditions under which potential liability of the vaccine manufacturer may be taken over or indemnified under the APAs. So it clearly says here that the EU Commission does not have the right on behalf of the uh, uh, member states to uh, uh, hold the manufacturers uh, free of liability. So exactly. Um, that means that they represent the member states without powers of attorney. If we look at this in detail, and this is what the Belgian uh, colleague showed in great detail. So here, obviously, there's no foundation in law for this. The result being that the EU Commission is liable itself. That is the legal consequence. If you represent without power of uh, attorney, you are liable as the representative. 
Now, to what extent the individual uh, individuals who act on behalf of a legal personality um, are personally liable is a question of EU um, office liability law. Well, this this mandate, I think, it's an order yes. that is being placed. But signed by both sides. But whether we have these uh, mandates, we don't know. But even if they have been signed in this form that has been leaked, then the uh, activities of the Commission were ultra-various. It would trespass their competencies. They can't uh, declare um, liabilities and uh, indemnifications. If that is not covered by the mandate, uh, they are responsible for themselves. Well, the question is, how uh, should <coughs> these agreements been uh, made under normal circumstances? Really, uh, usually that would have happened by Parliament. Maybe that was just too hot. Quite right. Uh, the one question is, what does the contract say? Is there any um, procuration? And that wasn't the case. Um, according to the text, so that is quite contradictory. And the other thing is that on what basis did the EU Commission take action? They can't just go and say, tomorrow I'll buy, buy we 10 just, nuclear um, power plants for Germany. Shut down the German nuclear power stations or whatever. Well, so uh, the raw the rule of uh, individual proxies will apply and you only has competencies as uh, given in in the this is the principle of conferred powers applying powers to the eu and only these are the powers that the EU have. They can't make them up themselves. So, nemus plus here plus es pro Okay, so, now let's have a look. The EU itself, the Commission itself, had a decision of 18th June 2020 with the number to Google C2024194. And that is a decision saying that we want to take over the procurement of the vaccines. And they, well, what's the ba legal basis? So they refer to the EU Council Regulation 2016-3701. From 2016, and this decision is the uh, disaster prevention. This is about um, help if there is a problem in one member state. The EU is allowed to organise the response. I think that doesn't have anything to do directly with health. And this decision, this EU regulation 2016-369 had not had the legal basis that the Commission referred to.
That was only created a couple of weeks before by another EU Council regulation, which was number number 2020-521 from the 14th of April. There, the one that I just mentioned before is amended and that creates the legal basis that the Commission can refer to. From when is it? It's from 14th of April 2020 and it changes, it's like an article law, it changes the EU regulation from 2016 that I just quoted, 369. And now <clears throat> this is only secondary law. Normally, <laughs> the EU Commission at the end of the chain, I need something in the Roman contracts, the EU contracts, from which I derive my competency. And this, these two decisions of the Ministry Commission can't just uh, decide anything on anything. They did so, so now they need a legal basis themselves. And we see that here in these two um, regulations, which call on Article 122. AEUV is the contract on the efficacy of the European of the functionality of the EU. Article number 22 is about disaster prevention. Help. This is this refers to natural calamities or things like that. Natural disasters, things like this. And interestingly enough, this article 122 is in a title, Title 8, covering 119 to 144, and the title is Economic and Currency Policy. Nothing about health. And within this chapter, this title, the subtitle of the EU policies, Uh, title it says economic and currency policy covers 140 articles 119 to 144 and this includes 129 to which the ministers referred to very it's completely very, hidden yes we as legal people know that if i have uh, regulations I looked at, I systematically look where this is from, completely something different, nothing to do with health. There's no primary competency of the uh, EU Commission. There's only one article, uh, which is 168, which is on health. It is issues, it's an independent chapter, chapter 14, before it was 8. Now, 
there's one single article in this 168 and there it says in paragraph 7 health is an issue of the member states the eu can do some admin ad, additional things but i would have expected that the legal basis that the decisions um, on the council of ministers level based on is somewhere to be found within the health sections of the AUV, IFEU. So that's not there. Oh, so uh, it is not, it is void according to civilian Belgium law. The obligation of the member states is not given because there is no mandate that has been. This was uh, without a mandate, done without a mandate. And then, after all, the EU Commission had no basis to take action at all. Uh, it simply wasn't competent to do so. So we are in a completely illegal situation. I think they bypassed themselves. The idea probably was <clears throat> At the end of the day, uh, via HERA, so Health Emergency Response Agency, whatever it's called, uh, Ms. von der Leyen, as uh, uh, president of the Commission, uh, to uh, turn that into a mini uh, world government here in Europe. And uh, they probably thought that uh, by the time this becomes um, divisive, Ms. von der Leyen is well established, and uh, she'll then say, okay, health is only. Um, handled by the EU, but the military bioweapons case that this is all about will be handled by the EU. We found that there's no basis for this. She's not yet the um, sole dictator of uh, Europe, and this could really put some Spanish in the works of this. Well, anyway, it is astonishing that this is not scrutinized at all. If I watch the 8 o'clock news, uh, somebody says something we have decided, it is applicable. And whether there is a legal basis for this or not, nobody asks. But that's the fundamental principle. It's not that surprising anymore. We know about it now. Um, they say um, it's panic stations and nobody... Um, um, questions whether we need to uh, panic anymore. It's only smoke and uh, mirrors anymore. Well, it shows that from the start to end, we are in a complete fact-free and um, Ill illegitimate situation. So we're just walking through the fog here. I'd be wondering how the other contracts have been made. There must be contracts with the other countries. Paraguay, for example, has that been pushed through? How? Well, we don't know. Well, maybe we can suspect that the federal government, or maybe even the FDA or Fauci's uh, authority, did these contracts for the individual state. But we can only suspect this. The construct's not going to be completely different from that, what we see in the EU. But what the other countries did, I don't know. Paraguay, Chile, and so on. Okay, that's speculation. We'll have to see. We'll have to take a look at it. But in this case, 
the uh, striking thing is that uh, there was no competency uh, on the part of the Commission. Then uh, the agreements were made so sloppily and so badly that uh, what they were trying to achieve wasn't achieved, hadn't been achieved, because the power of attorney that they, um, this uh, mandate that they were trying to get from the member states doesn't even cover what they actually um, legislated. And you can uh, wonder what on the part of the member states somebody must have had some power to issue this power of attorney if this has ever been issued we don't know and then you can also uh, ask like wait a minute who did that maybe somebody uh, signed something there that they shouldn't have, that they didn't have the right to sign but uh, they're probably off the hook because um, it's ultra virus anyway so they can always uh, uh, fall back on that. Um, so it's simply completely Damaged. a complete confusion. Uh, there's no basis in law, uh, no uh, solid basis in law uh, for agreements of this dimension, and that nobody questions this. It's gruesome, but this is uh, seen on all levels. <clears throat> Same thing. This is how the constitutional decision has come in. We've got uh, our colleague Andreas from Bülow. We could just see him. Mr. Bülow, can you hear us and see us? We just, we got, just the got the information, information that uh, it was okay. supposed to work now. doesn't look at if uh, it's not going to work. Otherwise, we couldn't have seen him. We can hear something very lowly in the background. Could we pin him? Let me just see if I can give him a call. He's got an issue with his microphone. I could give him a call, but that's not going to help us very much. Well, or we meet again next Friday. We could sp say a few words on the, the yeah, Basis Party. Well, a lot of things are coming to head this weekend. Well, tomorrow um, we have the very important um, pathology uh, conference, which will be streamed um, starting 5 p.m. It's very important. I'd recommend it to everybody. You will find the current link. Uh, we don't know whether um, there'll be attempt to sabotage us there. The current link will be available via www.pathology-conference.de. Um, and uh, you can also uh, go to our website and we'll um, um, reference to the streaming link. There will be interesting information on uh, further um, examinations concerning um, vaccination injuries and um, deaths involved in um, uh, subsequent to vaccinations. Then um, uh, today and tomorrow there will be, uh, sorry, tomorrow and the day after there will be a federal um, um, party convention of the 
Basis. We didn't want to uh, intermingle the committee and the um, uh, party, but um, it is basically the spearhead of the movement, the movement that actually um, um, a lot of our spectators are also part of this movement. And it would be nice if uh, the party could become the uh, voice of the movement, not only with a view of Corona, uh, with a view to Corona, but also with other uh, topics um, that hark back to her, uh, Corona, really, because the state of our society only enabled all this sort of thing um, running away with themselves. For instance, that the legal system uh, offensichtlich, uh, obviously has so few checks and balances that it could uh, fail as it did. And then all the various uh, systems, health system, um, educational system, etc. Those are questions that need to be addressed, politically speaking, and that, of course, could be um, the, the party, could be the right um, forum for this. But some portray the party as if it uh, was um, divided, and uh, we don't believe that this is the case. Of course, there are different viewpoints always, but above all, what's happening, what's really striking is that it's always uh, some um, individuals, particularly in higher uh, positions, who do all they can for whatever reason, be it uh, selfish reasons or power-seeking uh, or maybe external motivation uh, to um, stop the uh, party from taking off, the swarm, i.e. the members not having as much influence or right of vote like they should. And we believe that it's time for <clears throat> things to change here. And against this background, we decided to run for the board there. And many others um, um, apply. Uh, some are well-known, uh, Dr. Wolfgang Wodak or Ernst Wolf or others, but also some others who are not as well-known but are probably quite capable. But it's important, I believe, that we have a change there. Um, and we think it's of fundamental importance that things uh, change so that the important role that the party could assume, as uh, is uh, the case with the uh, uh, party of uh, Dr. Brunners there in, in uh, Austria, which got 6%, and that is something that uh, Basis could get. And also in Bulgaria, there's a party that's critical of the corona measures that developed very I, I well. can't pronounce the name. Rashidanite, uh, I think, is what their name is. 4.9%. Right, yeah. So uh, a lot more is possible here. But it's important that the party uh, doesn't block itself and uh, is blocked in, in important and points. Thus, we want to make sure that this blockage is lifted. And that can only be done if the top of uh, the um, party um, are removed, if that is levered out, including the bots that some of these people have uh, placed into some of the state country. But we don't want to do lots of advertising here. We just wanted to make sure that those who are in the audience and who are in the party in Debases and want to watch this, please do so. And if so possible, help the swarm to do its job and the blockages are lifted. We have two or even three video clips. One is Christian Tess, very brief, two minutes. 
He's one of the MEPs that we have heard here already. Uh, he tells in front of the EU Parliament that the EU is moving from a democracy to a to a to totalitarianism, and the second is very interesting. It's uh, a short video clip in which Robert Malone, the inventor of mRNA technique, with great agreement and great agreement, talks about the explanations on how all this came up based on a psychoterrorist activity. That's the uh, explanation given by Professor Matthias Desmet, how Robert Malone agrees to uh, Desmet being right, that it can only be explained by psychoterror in order to get the world population, which is not as a whole insecure, but most of it, especially in the Western world, to get them under control. And we also have two videos from Graz. <clears throat> Demonstrations are ongoing there and in Austria. Uh, following up on this threat that uh, the vaccination mandate uh, is to be brought in, a lot of things happened. Uh, strikes have broken out uh, that, or shop closures where the entire city center was shut down in many um, cities in, across uh, Austria. Hurts of great uh, activity and um, protests are ongoing and it doesn't seem to be peter out, but uh, this seems to be ongoing. And then oh, I have a little newspaper clip showing that in Australia, a lot of things are going on. People are finally getting to the streets and things are starting to change. Well, I don't know exactly. I think we'll have to... Uh, I think Mr. Von Bülow has to join us next time. I phoned him last night. He was very furious about the decision of the Constitution uh, Court, and he wanted to write a letter to Mr. Scholz why he doesn't erect, want to erect concentration camps if he's just going back to the Third Reich. Let's see what he's going to talk about, talk about next time. We're done. Yes, I just wanted to make another announcement. Uh, the bank account will change. Um, in the next few weeks is still working right now so if you want to support us you can still use the existing bank account uh, otherwise we will announce it so if you have standing orders you can actually adjust them and um, oval media who uh, take care of the technical uh, end here are happy about the support right i think we learned an incredible lot again it's really mad and much positive also well and if you want to look the free um, union that we are going to uh, start, you can actually check it. Um, the website is already has a logo and a contract address, and um, we will um, post um, more uh, information concerning membership, etc., which we see as an important part of uh, With further the activities. Five workshops going to have different sectors health especially the nurses can be organized there police can organize there's different sections that will be made available the health section is um very active in the austrian um, 
template for this union um, ready, and they are going to shut down the whole Austrian health system just to show who is strong. And we've noticed that there is a lot of interest uh, from other areas, um, from works councils, for instance, who are um, sick of it, also um, from uh, the public service, from uh, police forces, etc. Soldiers as well. <clears throat> so, have a nice weekend and a nice Friday evening. See you again next week. Der Präsident. Die Verteidigung der EU's existence. The founding fathers of this European project, like Schumann and Adenauer, envision a Europe where the governments and the bureaucrats are working for the people, not against them, nor to control them, as it happened in the Soviet Union. Under the leadership of Ursula von der Leyen, unfortunately. The European Union is transitioning from democracy to tyranny, and the Green Certificate is proving this. From a union in which decisions are taken as openly as possible, and as closely as possible to the citizens. As the EU treaty says, we see now our EU becoming less transparent, important decisions being taken behind closed doors or far away from the people. The contracts signed between EU and the vaccination companies are proving this. And since we have the commissioner here, I'm openly asking her to fully publish all the contracts signed between the European Union and these vaccination companies so the EU citizens, as well as us as MEPS, we will know exactly what they contain. Thank you. Thank you. Matthias Desmet. He's a psychologist. He's also a statistician. He's at the University of Ghent. So this is Belgium. He's a European, but he speaks fluent English. Many of us are very impressed by his thinking. Bobby Kennedy, for instance, has met with him personally and uh, spoken to him about his theories, as have many of my peers. I think Matthias is onto something, and he calls it mass formation psychosis. So when he says mass formation, you can think of this equivalent to crowd. So it's crowd psychosis. That's what we're really talking about. There's easy ways to fix groupthink by just bringing in dissenting voices and making sure you give them platforms. With mass formation psychosis, this is like hypnosis. It really is hypnosis. This is what happened to the German people. If you live in Europe or you are uh, have a relative who's a Holocaust survivor, or also if you've lived behind the Soviet Union curtain, Eastern Europe, etc. This is a, a fundamental problem that people have is understanding how can, for instance, the German people who are highly educated, very liberal in the classic sense, you know, Western thinking people, how could they go so crazy? 
so deep into crazy land that they were doing what they did to the Jews. How could this happen to a civilized people? And this is the explanation for that. It has been a major focus of academic inquiry for decades and decades in Europe. So with what we're experiencing here, you have to have a set of preconditions. And then walk with me back to remember 2019, it seems like forever ago. The precursors for mass formation psychosis is you have to have a situation in which the population is decoupled from each, each other. They don't have social bonds. Everybody on their little cell phones and everything else, okay, where we're fragmented into our communities, Facebook communities and other things. Yes, there are tribes, but we're now in a situation where there's sub, 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 sub tribes. Everybody's fragmented. Nobody's feeling connected, okay? There's gotta be a lack of sense making. The world has to somehow not make sense what's happening in the world. It just seems to be overwhelming. Things don't make sense. Remember how we were all kind of thinking this back in 2019 and we had the elections and what was going on? Clearly there's big forces that worked there and nothing made sense. This leads to free-floating anxiety, which is the source of the greatest psychological pain. And my wife, for example, experiences this all the time. Many people do. So for her, she has this chronic sense of anxiety. She wakes up in the middle of the night, suddenly alerted to some thing that she's been dreaming about. So this sense of free-floating anxiety, things don't make sense. We're no longer connected to each other. And we also have free-floating discontent that things aren't right and I don't like it very much and I'm not sure where to put my finger on it. A lot of us had this feeling. Now think about what happened when the virus broke out. The world obsessed over this virus. Suddenly, every software person in the world was an expert on molecular virology and epidemiology. I had to deal with them, you know? It just, we all suddenly became obsessive experts, spending all our time on the media, trying to figure out what the heck is going on because it didn't make sense. And we're trying to protect our children and everything else. When these conditions happen, and then the entire population gets focused on one thing, it forms something akin to hypnosis, where all they can think about they're totally obsessed with that one thing. This is what happens with hypnosis, is you can hypnotize somebody and get them to focus on just one little tiny thing. And you can do surgery on them, they won't feel it. This is a fundamental phenomena of the human mind, is this ability to become hypnotized by focusing all of your attention on one small thing. Once that happens, people, lose their ability to have rational thought and judgment. Even if you weren't obsessed, you had all this fear porn coming at us all the time, 24 seven through every channel. Now, was this intentional or was it just selling clicks? There's a lot of signs that it was, there was an intentional component here, that we're sitting in a situation in which we have been actively managed psychologically by some entity that has financial benefit or power to gain from doing this. This gets to the point about global totalitarianism. But regarding mass formation psychosis, once this happens, there's two key things. 
everybody gets focused. They have this fusion of their discontent, this focus on a thing, and then leaders step in that seize this moment. And when they're identified as leaders or they're promoted as leaders, and the crowd can see no evil, they can hear no evil, they can speak no evil. And those leaders can say anything. It does not have to be true. And the crowd will believe it. Furthermore, with this kind of process, mass formation psychosis that we saw in 1930s Germany, and we've seen in other situations, outside the centers, anybody who says something that is contrary to the narrative must be attacked. These situations must have a common enemy. This was well described in the 1984 book of George Orwell, where there was this constant threat of the Eurasian forces. They were nebulous. One never really knew where they were, or if they were going to attack, but they were always used to drive fear in the crowd. So this crowd now that's formed has central leaders that are lying to them all the time, like Tony Fauci, and as you see, there's a narrow world in which those people that have been hypnotized in this way, you can tell them until you're blue in the face what the data are, what the facts are. You can show them video clips of Tony Fauci lying. It doesn't matter. I was in Tampa the other day and a physician asking questions came up in the line, brokenhearted. She has many other physicians and medical professionals in her family, and she's disaffected from all of them. And she said, it doesn't matter how much information I provide to them, how many papers I provide to them, what data I provide to them, they can't hear it. And it's true, they literally can't. They are hypnotized. This has happened all over the world. It's been actively promoted. It is the consequence of all this censorship and propaganda that we've been subjected to. And when it seems to you that the rest of the world has gone mad, the truth is they have, <laughs> okay? And the question is, what can we do about it? So I spoke to Matthias about this, about where does he see this going? And it's really a bit grim. He thinks that this mass psychosis has developed to a point where the global totalitarianism is unavoidable. It will sweep over us. We're seeing it in Austria. Number one, they're locking down during the holidays and they say, you will be vaccinated. Now that flies in the face of the data, which shows the vaccination won't stop the spread of the virus. It doesn't matter. They will impose the vaccines on you. They're talking about doing this in Germany. They're talking about all kinds of mandates in the United States, like you say, including for the children. Think that through, okay? So this is happening. And Matthias believes that it's now to a point that it is going to progress through the population, whether we like it or not. We have to continue to try to provide information, accurate information. There's a couple things we can do. We can substitute the fear of the virus, which is irrational, for a greater threat. We can break through to people if we help them to understand that what we're seeing is a coordinated global focus on deploying a global totalitarian solution. Totalitarianism is a bigger 
boogeyman than the viruses by far. Losing control to Bill Gates and the World Economic Forum and BlackRock and Vanguard is a bigger threat than SARS-CoV-2 is for you or your children by far. Okay? And people can hear that. They can see it. Matthias has tested it. And you can break this, this fusion in their minds if you give them something that's even of greater concern, which is loss of their freedom. When you, when you make it clear to people that they're on the threshold of losing their rights, they get activated. So this is one topic area that a lot of people get. And often the breakthrough thing is they're going to force my kids to take the jab. And suddenly people wake up with that one also. But the problem is all those underlying things haven't been fixed. The real problem, to be blunt, is that our society is sick. It's sick in a bunch of ways. And I think the only thing that can come out of this to get us away from that, to start to heal us, is this idea of think global, act local that is behind intentional communities. Meanwhile, while all this crazy is going on in the world, the rest of us that are able to see through for whatever reason, maybe because we got fired from our job or we experienced mainstream media first person and realized how corrupt and twisted that world is, or maybe we experienced big science and all the corruption within big science in a very brutal first-person way. Things have caused some of us to be able to be a little more skeptical about what's going on in the world. So we can't get beyond this if we don't find some way to heal ourselves. And I think we got to start that healing process locally. The message that I've been trying to promote in this very speaking engagement is a message of healing, not division, and of trying to empower people to start building local community, telephone call lists, you know, work through your church, whatever your organization is, build on that. Find physicians that will administer early treatment. I think that now is the time to build local community, start to form networks with each other, or providing information to older people who are often home alone, scared and not able to access the internet. There's a few courageous leaders politically in a lot of scared chickens. Basically, the Republican side is unified that these mandates are wrong. Now, we're having trouble breaking through the other side, but angry moms, I think, may be the thing that saves our democracy. So there is hope. But we've still got a long way to go. But I think we've seen some significant progress. So I don't want to leave everybody thinking it's all doom and gloom.